When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, man, you got a minute to talk? Yeah, man, what's up? It's, well, it's a podcast. I hope you have a minute to talk about podcasts. <laughs> but um, I've been going through some things, man. Um, my barber. You know we've been together since I was like 16. Yeah. Long time. Um, it's just... Uh, just... I feel like we're in a, a rough spot lately, mm-hmm. you know. It used to be so fun in the beginning, you know, when you're young, you know, just having fun, being silly, you know, it's just it's just different. I guess yeah. that comes with time and, and, you know, he just doesn't really even show me, doesn't pay attention to me like he used to. It's like I'm not even there, yeah. you know. He cut my hair this past week. He didn't even show me the mirror. He doesn't even care what I look like when I walk out of his chair, yeah. you know. And, you know, it's just – and he. There was like other people in the barbershop. He's walking away from me, paying attention to them. Like, I'm not even there. It's like I'm a ghost. It's like, hello, notice me, see me. Yeah. You know? I want that attention. Yeah. yeah. It was like, do I not matter to you? 16 years? Like, does that, is that not important to you? I'm sorry. I can't, I can't hold your attention for 30 minutes for you to have a, our time together. Yeah. I don't want to leave, but it's just, it's just, it's hard, you know? Like, I know you, how, how long have you and your barber been together? Oh, man. man. Since high school, man. Early as a high school, man. always has always been smooth sailing. Always been like, smooth, no problems, man. Never, you know, we, there's some hiccups here and there. You yeah, know? but that's um, just be, that's breaks. to be expected. There's some know? breaks in between, but you know, yeah, of course. But you guys always come always, back. You always work it out, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, has he ever not held the mirror up? I mean, is that? Nah, man. He always, you know, hey, man, look, does it look good? He always, you know, you know, make sure I'm looking right. Your needs. Do the twir- do the, the little the, the, the twirl. Oh, I've been twirled. Make sure I'm twirled. looking good. I've been twirled in so long. Yeah, man, just. He never lets me leave looking a mess. Yeah. Never. Satisfied. Yes, absolutely. <sighs> he doesn't even spray me down. Wow. He just, we're just, it's like wham, bam, thank you. Have a nice day. Yeah. And, you know. <sighs> does, does he give you alcohol? Gods. I'll tell you what, you, you don't even want to wipe my neck. It's been so long. It's pretty dry back there. Wow. Like the Sahara Desert. Wow. I haven't had an alcohol wipe on this neck in a long time, buddy. But That's I, unfortunate, man. Yeah, tell it to my neck. Yeah, it's just it's 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 hurt. It hurts, you know. And so, so you've never had like wandering eyes or anything, you know. You never, nah, man. Seen just, somebody with a a crisp lineup you know, maybe, and just ask the question. You, yeah, maybe you come across, you know, a couple people like, wow, that's a, it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, that's a nice, that's a nice shape you got. Yeah, who did that? Who did that? Yeah, yeah. but you ask questions. Yeah, but you know, you go like, I'm happy. I'm happy. You know, you don't want to get too greedy. Yeah. Um. I. You know, we had the same barber at one point. I just, the, you know, just the the chemistry wasn't there. It wasn't there. So you know, I, I had I had the pack. I, had I the pack thought I was. I thought I was special. 
I thought we had something special, and we did. did we yeah. did, Fran. Early on, we did have something special, and I, I know he has. I know he has other people. I know that. I'm not stupid. I know that. Yeah. But I, I thought we had something special in the last couple of years, and it hasn't felt that way. Over the weekend, I was walking down the street, saw a guy coming out of a barbershop. Lineup was nasty. Yeah. Tight, crisp. Went into the barbershop, walked up to the guy who did it, and yeah, uh, got his number. Got his digits. I, give him a call, man. I don't. I don't. I don't want to give him a sixteen years like this. You know, I don't. I don't want to do that. But you know, they had the suavemente playing in there, and you know, you know, a little Latin flavor. It was fun. It's yeah. different. You know, I, I have. I haven't been twirled. I haven't been twirled in years, friend. It yeah. was fun to hey, just man, look. Guess I'll think about yourself, man. You can stop paying yourself first sometimes. You know that phrase is grass is always green on the other side? Yeah. Grass looked mighty green this day. Mm-hmm. Especially after I didn't, he didn't even show me the mirror. I didn't get twirled anything. I just, I felt so unimportant in his life. And then you get a glimpse of the other side. Yeah. And it looked nice. Yeah. Hey, man. Sometimes you just got to go and hop that fence. Like, oh, it's nice over there. Grass is green. It's been taken care of. Go ahead. Yeah, but my, my big fear is that if I go and this guy's this guy's this guy's hot shit. I don't know if I mentioned this, he's Dominican. Okay. You know, so you do the math. Yeah. He's not hurting for, you know, you know, customers. Yeah. And if I can't get another appointment, then I have to go back and have have the smell of the, you know, you know, a different barber side and, you know, his spray on me and I have to go and ask my barber of sixteen years to line me up, he'll know, he'll smell it on me. He'll see it on my face and in my hairline. He'll know that's not his work. Oh, that's yeah. not his. That's not his. It's not his style, you know. So that scares me. I don't want to confront that infidelity right yeah. in somebody's face. I mean, but why? Why put the effort in if they're not going? If he's not going to put the effort in? Damn, <laughs> friend. Sometimes I just look at you to give it to me straight. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Well, I guess all is fair in love and barbers. You know. Yeah, obvious, we got a problem here And it's more than just obvious dream and punisher When life begins to suck, who's reporting it? Luckily, got two friends who you won't forget Coming live, Alvin and friend on survival Laughing non-stop, case drops on a cycle Louder than intrusive thoughts off an iPhone How they make the world seem bright with the lights off? AFs, it might as well stay up Lies being told like that dinosaur BS Magnifying glass to the ground if they don't see us Having the time, roasting your favorite people Boozy ain't an option, it's the wage Take it to the grave, add poop into the place You already know when they take the case Laugh the pain away, it's affirmative Hello and welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder, the equal opportunity true crime comedy podcast. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. Oh yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Yeah man, I'm the mailman, can't you tell man? Gonna post the what up, friend? We are back uh, due to unforeseen circumstances. I'm uh, back from a trip of, from Vegas. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'll get into that uh, in a second briefly, but um, I was very excited. We recorded an episode last week. Went great. Yeah, some magic was on on that episode on that oh, tape, if you will. I'm sure tapes. That's not what we use, but we use micro SDs, and I'll, I'll get into that. Um, we had finished recording. I pulled it out of the slot and I put it into my bag to edit on the plane. And when I got on that plane. I was so excited. I took a nap in the beginning because, you know, I like to take a nap so people don't talk to me in the beginning yeah. before we take off. And so I pop up probably like an hour into the flight, pull my laptop out. <laughs> man, man, let me see if this is as good, 
the next day, as I remember, because man, we had a time. Yeah. And I go to crack it open, slide in the SD slot into the uh, aftermarket accessory you have to buy for MacBooks, mm-hmm. slide it in that, and it wouldn't read it. I'm blow. I take it out, huh? Blow it, rub it on my shirt. Take the whole aftermarket accessory thing out. Rub that on my shirt. Blow that. Checking everything. Pop it in several times. Keep doing it over and over and over and over again. Doesn't work. Um, I take the micro SD out. I go to examine it. Bent. Mm. It's bent. Now I'm furious on the plane. Yeah. I'm like, this gone, and I have no way of fixing this. I get off the plane. I do some Googles after we, the flight lands. I do some Googles. Apparently, you can extract data from an SD card, but it's Sunday. And I'm in Vegas. I don't know where to take this. Yeah. Geek Squad? Fucking enough. I don't fucking know. I need it now. People need the heat m- Monday. Tomorrow, they need the heat. I get to my grandmother's house. I talk to my grandfather. He's like, well, what you could do is, basically, since it's bent, the receptors might not be connecting. So if you put the micro SD card under something heavy, maybe you can get the receptors to touch for a brief moment, slide it in, and get, pull it, pull, extract the data off of there. Mm. So I go, okay, cool. I put the micro SD under one of the legs of the dresser that was in the room I was staying in. Pretty, pretty heavy. Yeah. Let it, I let it do that overnight while I slept. Woke up, pull the uh, SD card from under the dresser, pop it into my little aftermarket accessory thing. Still nothing comes up. So I go, damn. I go, okay, well maybe I can like bend it back into place to get the SD uh, receptors to snap. <laughs> Me trying to bend it back into a place that it wasn't, wasn't at anymore. Yeah. And I snapped it in half. And I tell you what, in that moment, that's when I was like, well, it's definitely gone now. Any hope I had, now that I'm holding two pieces in my hand, and maybe I was wrong. Maybe they, it could still be extracted. I don't know. But I was like, trash, furious, whatever. Oh, well, I'm on vacation. I'm not going to let this ruin my trip. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's not fine, but it is fine. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, 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 we'll get over this. It's fine. I put out a message to everybody. Hey, guys, the data's gone. Don't have the episode. Sorry about it. You know, we'll, we'll be better. We'll do better. This will never happen again. And I'm yeah. happy to come here and say this will never happen again. I learned my lesson. Also, I didn't find out until you guys found out. Yeah. <laughs> I had to call them and go like, hey, man, what happened? Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, man. <laughs> well, I didn't want to talk. You know, like, you ever been in that sp- I was in one of those spaces where, like, if I go to start talking about it, I will snap my whole laptop on my knee. <laughs> yeah. I was in that kind of mad. Yeah. I don't like when technology doesn't do what it, when I wanted to do. I don't like when stuff doesn't do what I wanted to do. And my first instinct is to break things. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'll get to Fran, you know, after I cool down a little <laughs> yeah. bit. And after I cooled down, I was able to talk to you. Yeah. We were able to laugh it off. But, you know, there was some magic on those, on those tapes. And, yeah, man. Lost you know, footage, man. We got into the Michael cool B. Jordan thing. We got into the Michael B. Jordan thing about his red carpet and the argument that he got into or the, you we know, did. the disagreement. Yeah. And we, it, went to, it went somewhere good. You told a great story. I did. Should, should we try to? Should we try to read? I mean, should we try to go there again? I think I don't, I don't think it will have. That. We'll never recreate it. No, it's like that Tenacious no. D song about yeah. the song, the best song in the world. Yeah, we can tell you about the greatest song in the world, but we can never make it. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna tell you the story of one of the greatest stories friends ever told. Yeah, man. And we're gonna try to see if we can get into it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Right now. Yeah. So Fran, we talked about. Cliff Notes. Michael B. Jordan was on a red carpet for the premiere of Creed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ran into somebody that he went to high school with, apparently, and had been that person had been talking about him on a podcast. Mm-hmm. And the co-host that that person of the podcast with called Michael B. Jordan corny. Yep. Michael B. Jordan then relayed back to that girl on the red carpet. They're like, you know, I heard you and your friends talking about me on, on your podcast. I heard you. I'm the corny guy, right? She goes, no, we not at all. We went to high school. Goes, no, 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 yeah, no, you did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that always makes me laugh because Fran, <laughs> Fran brought attention to like the <laughs> When she tried to go, no, no, yeah. we were good. No, 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 you did. It's cool. <laughs> he tried. To, no, you said it. I heard it. Yeah, no, you said it. I heard it. <laughs> but it's cool. Anyway, what, what's the question? So he, he was like, no, it's fine. No, don't try to. No, don't backpedal. I heard it and yeah. it's fine. But I did hear it. You said it. So um, 
But my question that I asked Fran, and you know, and his his response was 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 a good one. Um, the question I had was, has there ever been a moment in your life where you ran into somebody that you know saw you at a low point, mm-hmm. and that was the last time you saw them, and then the next time you see them, you're at your high of highs. Yeah. Much like Michael B. Jordan at the premiere of Creed 3. Yeah. Somebody's on the red carpet for his premiere asking him questions before he goes into his movie, Sexiest Man Alive, all that stuff. You know how Michael, you know how the world sees Michael yeah, B. Yeah, Jordan. Yeah. Has there ever been a moment in your life where somebody saw you, whether you guys were good and they became bad or never were cool and they always were shitty to you, and then when they see you, the tables are turned in such an astronomical way in your favor? Yeah. Have you ever experienced something like that? Yeah, man. So at the time, <clears throat> this way, at the time I was like, I wouldn't say at the time it's like I'm at, you know, just graduating high school and sure. And this is I wouldn't say this is my height of heights because like you know, life is still living. Life is still living. We still young. But this so, was but a, high, about, a high point. Yeah. Ebbs about, and flow. Life goes up and down. Exactly. This is one of your ups. Yeah. So I'm about 19 and um, I had a girlfriend that uh, we also went to the same school. Yes. And she broke up with me with a, a, a guy that I thought was my friend. At the mm. Time, right? mm. And it made us you live on the same block. Mm. And um, so they end up like dating or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was high school shit. Yeah. And we go to a football game. I found out that, you know, I got word that, you know, who was going to be at this football game. So it wasn't a coincidence that so, you were at this football game. No. Okay. No, no. I knew who was. And this is the year after this, like the first home Alumni. Game. Yeah. So I was like, okay. First year graduated yes. senior. First yes. year out. Exactly. Okay. So I was like, okay, I know who was going to be here. First uh-huh. home game. So I'm like, okay, I already know. So I, um, this is the time I was hanging with some 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 friends or whatever, uh-huh. and I was like, All right, let's go to the football game. And I had a, I had a new girlfriend at the time, sure, who went to another school, Ooh. a known school, who was you know she was like a, she was a Mexican girl, uh huh, and uh, so an unknown girl, nobody knew because she went to another school, yeah, yeah. So I was like, only people that knew her is the, the people that she went to school with. Yes, of course, because like when you at that time you know and a girl from another school you go like, oh, that's oh, a big that? deal. You, that's a, a, big sec- deal. a secret John, exactly. We call that a secret John. Yes, exactly. yeah, you had a secret John. So I go, all right, let's go to the game. Exclusive John. Yeah. So I, I, I say, let's go to the game. So I'm like, I know who's going to be there. Mm-hmm. So we go to the game. I'm, I'm with uh, some two homeboys. And at, at the time, my girlfriend. Uh-huh. So we go. And You're in the front. I'm in a, I'm, yeah, the, I'm two in homies, the, the two homies yeah. flanking you from the rear, yeah, got, looking got, like security. Right, I got the girl. I got my girl behind me, beside me, whatever. Uh-huh. I'm walking down. So I'm like, I'm, I'm like, okay. I know she looked good. Like I'm not. Uh-huh. I wouldn't bring her if. Of she course. Wasn't, why would you? Right. If she well, why would you? T- why would you pull out an exclusive John exactly. to come to the football game? Right. If you know you you don't think everybody's gonna turn heads. Exactly. Right. So uh, you know we get there and I wasn't a lame in high school. People knew who I was. Uh-huh. I was like, I, no, people, so pop yeah. your shit, right? Yeah. So it was uh-huh. like, and at the time, I had a buddy who had who started a clothing line. Yes. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the air, and around the area, people knew who he was, and, and it was kind of like it was. It had, it had a little pop. Oh, it had some buzz. People, yeah, people know who. It who, had some buzz. And he like asked me because we was close friends since elementary school. Uh huh. So it was like, bro, you want to be the CEO of the? <laughs> I was. I was like, which is like, what does that like, even mean? Yeah, I go. What like, do those acronym? What does that acronym stand for? Okay, I, I go like I don't know, but. It's somebody who's in charge of something, who's the head of something. So I have a people, title. When people see it, they go like, oh, you know. He's, he's the CEO of yeah, this. So, yeah, like, uh-huh. so me and him had these jackets made, like these Letterman jackets. That only you guys had. That only me and him had. So the jacket had the clothing line name on it. It was black and white, and it had, had like CEO Fran on it. Oh, I like, didn't know this part. I didn't yeah. know it had your, your title and your name. So it yeah, was, it was a super exclusive jacket. Oh, yeah. 
but also a, represented the brand that was like, right. okay, they're doing something. Right. He had a st- had it was stitched on it. I don't know where that jacket is now. Anyway, <laughs> I have an old picture. I may I may share it. Uh-huh. But anyway, so we go and then people are like, oh, friend, what up, friend? Whole the whole it seems like the whole the whole uh, bleachers is. So like, if anybody been to a, I know you've been to a high school football. It's the bleachers. They go uh, up and yeah. it's like the the football field is on. Up. It's like. The lights are shining. So oh, it was it's like, bright. It's, it was a moment. It oh, was, yeah, it was yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm walking, hey, friend, hey, you gonna let me get a shirt? Yeah. And I got you. So I get everybody see it. You the, know what? You know what size. Yeah. The girl, the girl with see it or whatever. Uh-huh. She squeezed, she squeezed your hand a little tighter. Yeah, so we walk in and then mm-hmm. like I see, I see Max there or whatever. Uh-huh. So I go like, I go like, all right, well. Uh-huh. No acknowledgement? I'm popping. Yeah, just. I'm, <laughs> I'm up. I'm up. Yeah. I'm, so oh, y'all broke in. up? No, she broke. Right. I'm up. So we walk in, watch the game. Don't stay for the game. We come late to the game first of all. Of course. Yeah, you, you got to come fast. In the middle right? of the game. Everybody's fast already seated. Yeah. And then we leave early. Uh-huh. Because so I'm, fi- no, yeah. I'm picturing, so you come late, so I'm picturing, you come as like, is that Fran? Fran? Is yeah, that Fran? yeah. Hey, Fran. Hey, Fran. Hey, Fran. 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 Hey, Fran. Hey, Fran. Hey, what's up, Fran? Hey, I see you, man. Oh, the yeah. jacket, man. Let me get one of those. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, so we, and then we get to ask it for a little bit, whatever, you know, I, I may, I may do a walk, do a go to walk to the concession stand or something. Sure. Grab a little, of course. Grab a little quick of thing. Just to, get, just to do the walk. Yeah, just to do the walk. I don't even need to go. I'm not thirsty. No, I've never been thirsty in my life. I'm not thirsty. You see who I'm here with. Yeah, I go to walk, walk back or whatever. And so I'm like, all right, we can we can go. So we dip off, we walk in, we leave, and game's still going on. Um, so the game is not. I think it's probably like last quarter, or whatever. But like, it's still like some time left. Was like nobody has left the game for yet. sure. So you just it's obvious, right? You rolled so out. We walking out. I got the John with me, and I see her look. I I pay more attention to that my ex girlfriend than anything because <laughs> I'm like, as long as I know she she notices mission accomplished. I know what I what I came to do and yeah. I accomplished that. So we leave. <laughs> Hey Frank, you let me get a shirt. I got you. <laughs> Discount this, that, all the time. I, what? A, what about the jacket? I got you, bro. You know I'm pointing at people, or whatever. So we leave him. Salutes. You doing salutes? Yeah, salutes. We, <laughs> we leave it, and I'm like, you know, I, I did that. Yeah, I did yeah, that. Yeah. So we leave, and then like a couple of days later, my ex girlfriend hit me up. I was like, okay, well, yeah, okay, good. Hey, wait, wait, but it's it, done. It, it, hey, cool. You know, hey, uh, exclusive John. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's been you know? nice. It's been nice. Thank you. <laughs> You know, and then we, you know, <laughs> God bless, you know, and uh, you know, many happy returns to you on your journeys. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, 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 man. no, that's no, that's that that's a legendary. No, uh, it was though. That's a legendary. No, I'll, flex. I'll never forget that. That's man. a bright moment. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, a bright sure, moment. Sure. That's a bright moment. Uh, I then proceeded to tell a story that was way less entertaining and and, and way less uh juicy. Yeah, it was just more so petty and me uh, proving people wrong that thought I wasn't uh. A fun hang, yeah. And then that person then wanted to hang out with me. Yeah, is this the moral of the story? But friend, you know his story was so uh, legendary that I wanted to try to recreate that. Amen. And again, the magic was still there, just as, as always. But I'm still yeah, salty yeah. that we lost that magic on that, on on that tape, you we know. Did, but you know we couldn't we couldn't tell we couldn't play you the best the greatest song in the world. But this was just a tribute to that, yeah. You know, so I hope that you guys found Fran's story as entertaining as I did both times, just now and last time. It was uh. Yeah, man, that was a. Uh, oh, also, if anybody have any stories like that, you can send those to the. Email. Oh, please, yes. Tales I don't know hood. if anybody knows this. We do a little uh, mini uh, mini episodes called Tales from the Hood. We do many uh, episodes of uh, podcast where people send us in listener mail and stories and stuff about things that have happened in their life. And if you've ever stuck it to yeah a person in a royal way, very much like a, a pretty woman, you know, you work on commissions, right? <laughs> Big mistake. If you ever had a, that kind of moment in your life, please. Um, affirmative murder at gmail.com tfth and just you know put you know revenge story or uh, that feels like i don't want people to i don't want anybody to get hurt but like 
you know, uh, re- revenge. That's fine. Revenge stories or, you know, um, satisfying, sto- whatever it is, whatever Damn. you want to title it. But if you have any stories like that, please send them affirmative murder at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. And uh, yeah, we, um, fantastic stuff going on over there. We have not locked in a date. We might as well go ahead and roll right into it. We have not locked in a date for this month for our virtual house party, but it is coming as always. It will yeah. be another virtual house party this month for the month of March. We're excited to do that with you guys. Kick back, have fun, enjoy our time. And, um, all that good stuff, but you know, we will get an, a date locked in for people to know to join us in BYOB, BYOC, BYOG, whatever it is that you want to bring, you got to bring it yourself because all we're bringing is ourselves and a couple of laughs if we can. And that's, you know, that's all we're required to provide virtually. I mean, what, what do you want from them? We're not sending you stuff. Get out of here. <laughs> Affirmative Murder Virtual House Party this month. TBD, we'll let you guys know. Keep an ear to the ground because that's the only way we send messages these days is through vibrational channels. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get into some fucked up shit. So stick around. Welcome back. Uh, my, I'm doing a story. My affirmative murder this week is about the story of Brian Jean Nichols um, by, uh, again, you know, Unfortunately, what happened to our last, to you know, when the first time we recorded this episode, yes, story. But the good thing is, the silver lining in this was I was able to go back. I was like, hey, I got some more time. Yeah, let me throw some more details into this. Punched story. it up. You punched it up a bit. Like, yeah, I was okay. like, you know what? You know, why not? Yeah, you know, I got to do it over again. Let's get into it. I want to get some more stuff in. Yeah. So this is a story about Brian Jean Nichols. Um, Brian Jean Nichols grew up in a middle class household and in our backyard, Baltimore, Maryland, mm-hmm. and attended uh, Cardinal Gibbons. Uh, school up there, Cardinal Gibbons. Gibbons. Got to take care of Ma, Dom, and Ma. Then I got to bring her back round the Cardinal Gibbons. <laughs> uh, so he later attended Cuts University of Pennsylvania in Cutstown, Pennsylvania, mm. from 1989 to 1990. Standing at you know, it's a big dude. He's 6'1", 210. Ooh, uh, solid. And played linebacker for the for the uh, school's football team. Yeah, that's and, a solid boy. Yeah, and a former teammate who played football with Nichols at Cutstown said, Nichols' massive physical presence and martial arts skills earned him a reputation as someone to be careful around. Sure. I mean, like, you know, watch what you say around this dude. He, he may have a short temper. And he's and, sleeping. He's, and he's, he's and dangerous. He, he can probably snap your elbow in half, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> easy. With some type of an you know, arm block bar or whatever. For I don't sure. know what the terms they use in martial arts or an whatever. An arm bar lock bar, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so uh, that reminds me of um, James Johnson, who's an NBA player. Yes. Who has a reputation of like... He's a black belt. He's a black belt, and it's like... And like jujitsu or something. Yeah, and it's like undefeated. Yeah, the times he fought, it was never. It was like so fighting a guy, and that's the thing. Is sometimes those athletes they trick you. Yeah, because like I'm six five, but you might be a you might be a jelly bean. Right. He is not that. No. So he's also six five. So you see, it's funny seeing the games where he might a, a seven foot guy might get mad and be you know pushing around other th- guys like in a scuffle, mm-hmm. and then every time if they see James Jones, you can see like a. All right, I'm not pushing yeah. you. I'm not pushing you. I'm pushing the other guy. Yeah. And it's just funny to see he might not even be the biggest guy in the altercation because it's no. the other freak athlete people. Right. But they know don't don't fuck with that guy. Right. And he's it's got like, a neck tattoo. He got a neck tattoo. It looks very intimidating. And then that on top of that, you go and he like, knows what he's doing. And he knows, but it's like he's because James Johnson can come fuck us up, and he might not never know how to fight. Oh yeah. Just because he's big. Yeah. But I mean, like, but he, he also may, knows what he's doing. He may be on like a like a team, like a a player's scouting report where it's like. 
Hey man, or rook, you know, they, they yeah. might tell rookies, record, vet, leave him vets, alone. Don't even. Don't try to throw the ball between his legs or do all that goofy no, shit. Don't, don't try to. Yeah. Don't, don't and he's not to, afraid to get uh, ejected. He'll get a flagrant two in a heartbeat. Yeah. Just nobody. People try to, you know, NBA, they try to fight, you know, act tough. Mm-hmm. Nobody. I've never seen anybody do that with him ever. No. I don't think you can find a YouTube video of that ever. I would agree with that. If it is, they're walking away like it. Mm-hmm. So we I'm basically a, a, treat uh, uh, Brian Nichols. Yes, like that. Yes, this is how people are treating him. Yes, just he's a football. Yeah, but let him will, just let him be. Let him snap you in half. Yeah, let him go. Berks County records show that Nichols had been arrested at least three times during his stay at the university. In 1990, he was charged with terroristic threats, simple assault, disorderly conduct, and harassment stemming from an incident in a university dining hall, according to court documents. So he pleaded guilty to two lesser charges. To the, to the two lesser charges, and the others were dropped. Mm. All of that scuffle at, at a cafeteria? He's a, a martial... I don't know. We could we don't, we don't know what this dude probably did. <laughs> he probably did. Just beat up like eight people in the yeah, dining hall. Yeah, insane. Uh, so the next year, Nichols was arrested twice in one month for criminal trespassing. Uh, misdemeanor, criminal mischief, and disorderly conduct. Those charges were later dropped after his brief... Stay in Kutztown, Nichols went to Newbury College from 1992 to 1993 and played football there as well. Athletic spokesman Ryan Gross said that during that time, Nichols was kicked off the football team for stealing from a dorm room. Mm. So after dropping out of school, Nichols moved to Georgia in 1995. He worked for Hewlett Packard for eight years um, as a Unix system engineer, which is a Unix system engineer is a, is a computer operating system oh. for like laptop for computers this guy um, wears many hats huh yeah and i looked them up they make about ninety thousand a year and that's just in today as of 2023 they make about 90 92 grand a year still good money back in 1993 yeah man and nichols last employment was working as a computer engineer for a logistics auxiliary of an of an atlanta-based shipping giant ups the ops yep so company spokesman Norm Black says Nichols joined the unit in March 2004 and left in September of 2004. So he was only there for six months, uh, which was when he was arrested in the rape case. Ooh. According to his brother, Nichols earned his six-figure income and regularly attended church. So he's, he's making a little bit of money, man. Yeah, he's, sure. He was, you know, he had kind of his, his stuff. To, it Always, you know, it's funny when... um. When people throw in like, you know, he's a regular churchgoer. It's like, uh-huh. it's like that. He's a he's a good he's a good person. It's never a negative thing. Was like this person goes to church all the time. It's like okay, yeah. whatever doubt, whatever negative, you know, you negative should, should be gone person, now. It should be gone now because he goes to church. He goes to church. It reminds me of like, uh, and Martin the show Martin Lawrence. He meets his wife's parents. Uh huh. And he his friends come his friend comes over and he goes, "This is Tommy. He's the he's the pastor." <laughs> He's the pastor. Deacon of a church. He's the deacon of the church. So his mom, her mom go like, oh, he has a, a pastor friend. Yeah, oh, he's, a so good, he's, he's a good guy. Uh-huh. It's a trick. So it's, I, I think that's always fun. Also, how about you do a one lick of research into a Catholic church and see the kind of evil people and the evil things that people have done hey, in the man, name of Catholic man, church? We no, that. we move on. I'm not getting any kind we of details. No, we're not doing any of that. We're going to move forward. But I'm just saying that, that I'm just don't cast don't cast a, a blanket uh, yeah, like that. I'm, just, that. I'm just saying. Move on. Yeah, let's move on. Then we'll move on. Uh, Nichols had more charges for the rape kidnapping and assault uh, for a former girlfriend after discovering 
that she was dating a minister from the church that they were both attending. Oh. So Nichols, what happened? You know, Nichols, you know, he found this out and was like, you know, kind of went on a rage. So sure. Nichols forced his way into his girlfriend's home, bound her with duct tape mm. at gunpoint and raped her. Wow. He was charged with rape, aggravated assault with intent to rape, aggravated sodomy, burglary, false imprisonment, and possession of a firearm during commission of a crime. Jesus. The first attempt at the trial ended with a mistrial and a hung jury. Probably because of the church thing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, he goes to church. Yeah, yeah, he should be fine. Yeah. Uh, Nichols had told people in the courthouse, he said, quote, I'm not going to lay, I'm not going to go lay down. When he learned that he would be retried, Nichols' friend warned the DA's office, hey, look, he might try to escape. And one friend told prosecutors that Nichols planned to escape and asked him to leave a credit card in the pocket of the suit jacket he would wear to court. Mm. So he was calling, asking people to assist him in escaping. <laughs> yeah. And when and people out of fear of being a, an accessory, if he did escape, yeah. were like, let me let you know now that yeah. he asked me. And I'm not helping him. I'm not helping So if he gets out, I know you have these phone calls recorded. Yeah. It wasn't, I didn't help him. Yep. I'm telling you now, don't don't come to my house. Minority report my this. Yeah. Get him <laughs> right. before he gets out, because I'm telling you he's gonna try to escape. Right. So do with that what you will. But I didn't I didn't have any help in that. Right. Also, Nichols' mother emailed Fulton County Sheriff's Office to tell them she believe her son may tr- may try to take an officer's weapon. Oh, he must give her the whole plan. Something. Then I'm gonna come to your house, leave the gun leave in the your plan. basement. After I killed the police officer yeah, that I I'm used. I'm going to come make a sandwich first. I'm going to be hungry. I'm going to be on the run. Okay, baby. <laughs> uh, dear police. <laughs> Being an officer, you're like, what? Yeah. Is he going to try to steal a, yeah. a gun? He's going to try to what? kill me? Is it me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so on March 11th, 2005, Miss Cynthia Hall, who was a five foot one, 51-year-old sheriff's deputy, was routinely assigned to guard the 6-1. Again, this dude is 6'1", 210 pounds. This lady is 5'1", and she's 51 years old. Mm. Um, she's routinely assigned to guard the 6'1", Nichols, during his two trials under Judge Barnes. After Nichols arrived at the courthouse on a bus, Hall escorted him from a basement detention area to a holding cell on the eighth floor of the Fulton County Justice Tower. Deputy Dilsey Thomas said that on the morning of the attack that I'm about to get into, mm-hmm. she urged Hall three times to get another deputy to go with her upstairs to the holding cell with Nichols. Hall told Thomas, no, I got him. Oh, wow. She seemed to trust him and did not require that he wear the leg shackles, which is, you know, most of kind of a common practice. Yeah. Um, even though the day before his attack, he had been caught with door hinges hidden in his shoes. So they kind of, you know, they, I saw that door hinges they use. They try to use those as shanks. You know, you could probably shake oh, them. Oh, file them down. File it's, them down. it's metal. It's raw metal. Right. File yeah. them down. Damn, yeah. If you file them down, you know. You can put a point on enough, it. You can put them. You can hide that under your foot. You got to uh-huh. have it right in your shoe. So this is a couple of days before where they found this in his shoes. And she goes, you know, he's, I got him. We're cool. Me and cool. him are cool. Yeah. So she escorted Nichols to the holding area where she was to remove his handcuffs so that he could change into his civilian clothes. Hall released one of one of the cuffs and turned Nichols around to unhook the remaining cuff, which was dangling from his wrist. Nichols then brutally attacked the deputy, 
pushing her into another pushing her into another open cell. There were video surveillance cameras re- that recorded the whole incident, where he overpowered the deputy, hitting her so hard that her f- hitting so hard hitting her so hard in the face that her feet left the ground. Ooh. Um. So then he emerged from the cell with her gun belt, which included her radio and her weapon magazines. Nichols retrieved her keys from the floor and locked Deputy Hall in the cell. And then Nichols entered another cell to change into his street clothes. And then four, four and a half minutes later, leaving the holding cell area. So we went full like Hitman, like change, yeah. change the skies yeah. and yeah. hit her. He locked her in the cell. Locked her in the cell. Oh, wow. Because, you know, they have video. Uh-huh. But like if somebody sees it after the attack, they go like, well, nothing. Because like he's like anything. walking out. Because he's like, well, there's nothing there. They, oh, okay. uh, he, got, he got her hidden in the cell, and he locks her, and then he goes into another one. Yeah. And then comes so out. So the camera thing will just be like from the outside of the cell. Right, exactly. Got it. Yep. Uh, so he leaves four, four and a half minutes. He, it, he's later leaving the holding cell. He used the keys to open the lockbox where he armed himself with a Beretta 40 cal um, and, a, and a semi-automatic pistol. Jesus. How did he know to do all? He just knows where all the stuff is? Probably. I guess... Paying I guess attention. if you in and out of fucking, they walk you down the hallways every day. You see yes, people's yeah. routine. Yeah. That's the crazy part. You never think about that as like a corrections officer. I'm sure. Well, I, I guess you do as a corrections officer, but like everything's about routine. Yeah. So you're constantly watching these prisoners to see where they go, where they what they right. do. But like, what if they're doing the same to exact you? Exact same thing. Yeah. Yep. So the deputy sustained significant brain injury, facial fac- fractures, and a large laceration to her forehead. After the attack, her condition was reported as critical, but she survived. Deputy Hall's injuries were so severe that doctors at Grady Memorial Hospital initially believed that she had sustained a gunshot wound to the face. Oh. So Nichols changed into his civilian clothes to use during the trial to not influence jurors. You know, I did. I didn't know that was like a tactic that that you can use that may. Does it help? I don't know. But it's like. You don't want to be painted. To, yeah, yeah, you don't want to be painted to look like a criminal. So if they if if they it might help. Yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of the reason why he changed. He wanted to change into his civilian clothes, but he also wanted to change into his civilian clothes to enter the courthouse in the chambers of Judge Roland Barnes, who he is after. And I'll get in that in a little bit. So on his way to Barnes's chambers, Judge Barnes's Barnes's chambers, Nichols encountered uh, case manager Susan Christie and and Gina Clark Thomas and attorney David Allman, whom he held at gunpoint. Now again, this guy is. He's trying to. He's trying to. He's, he's doing his his plan, his escape. Yes, which is, like, is kind of working in his favor right now. But now he's just like running around the damn jail and courthouse now, free yeah. with with you know weapons. So this guy's an armed, dangerous man, and he's looking for looking for certain people. Yeah. Uh, so he runs into these attorneys and case managers, held him at gunpoint, and demanded directions to Judge Barnes's location. So Sergeant Grantley White entered the chambers and attempted to disarm Nichols, but failed. And was forced to handcuff the others. So now he's kind of taking control of everybody and telling this person, you handcuff those two. Kind of like, so they're not a threat to him. Yeah. That's also, this is very serious and I feel for everybody, but that was a wild way to to, to describe that. Because what that sounded like to me was he tried to fight and then this dude beat the sh- Like he just beat his ass and then was like, now do this. Like yeah. he beat him into submission. Yeah. Which is like, damn, that's that just shows you how intense. Because it's not saying... He shot him or he used anything to his advantage. He, no. he didn't kill him. He like, he tried to fight him, lost whatever fight <laughs> happened, 
And then he was like, now put take these handcuffs and use them on other people. Yeah. So I, he tried. Whatever yeah. he did, had to do. Whatever he tried, it didn't work. He tried. I mean, this dude is six foot one. He's two a big ten, dude. 220. Two ten, and violent. And violent. And angry or whatever. Mm-hmm. Tried to disarm and that didn't work. Oh. Uh, we don't know what happened. I don't know if, you know, it say that he's gun jammed. We don't know what. Maybe you can't. Maybe you're not allowed to shoot somebody in that situation. I don't know. But whatever he tried to do didn't work. Uh, so he made him handcuff the other people. So White set off an alarm, which Nichols attempted to dispel using White's radio. So now White set off an alarm, and he's like, hey, uh, "It's me, Nick. It's me, Nick. Can uh, this is a false alarm? Nobody named Nick works with us. <laughs> right. I mean, um, 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 uh, um, Jamonte. Yeah. So it's like, so the other officers didn't recognize the voice of immediately, course. immediately, and was like, didn't okay. recognize the call. <laughs> Is everything's uh six one nine? Can we uh can we uh, right. cut, can we cut the can we cut the music off on those on those sirens, please? Like none of that is slate. None of those is code words. We don't right. use those code words. Uh, so they knew something was wrong when it was like, who is this guy <laughs> talking on the radio? We don't know what he's saying. Uh, so Nichols handcuffed Sergeant White, forced him into the bathroom, and he exited the the chambers that they 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 were at. So Nichols progressed into courtroom eight four. And he went to the door that's behind Judge Barnes, uh, the bench. Yeah. He found Judge Barnes in the courtroom presiding over motions in a civil trial where he fatally shot Judge Barnes at close range in the Mm. back of the head. Ooh. Barnes never knew Nichols was even behind him. Nichols then scanned the prosecution table, apparently in search of assistant district attorney that were prosecuting and when he saw that they were not at the courtroom, he lowered the gun and shot Julie Brandu, who was the court reporter, in the head. <sighs> so immediately he murders two people. Yeah. In this in this in this court. Sergeant White was able to get out of the restroom and accept and access to his radio where he put in the first radio transmission, letting responders, responding officers know that, you know, shots had been fired and gave a description of the armed nickels. Nichols then walked down from the bench and checked in a side room where the witnesses were held before the trial began and apparently seeking his rape victim. Oh, wow. But she was late that day and the courtroom was empty. So he's trying to just... This dude was on a End the whole trial. End the whole... Every... Witness. Get rid of everybody. Yeah, everything. Wow. So Nichols exited the courtroom and ran into an emergency stairwell where he was seen by Sergeant Hoyt Teasley. Sergeant Teasley had just arrived at work and was responding to the alarm. Again, imagine to coming to work and this thing Especially you, in a, you're in a courthouse. I mean, right, yeah, yeah, that you like, you know, you trained to respond to is happening. Yeah. And you're not even you're not even fully ready. You, you can't you not even right. Mentally you haven't even clocked in. Yeah. Whew. Uh so he was as soon as he got to work, he responded to the alarm before he picked up his radio and even put on his bulletproof vest. So he's like He's bare yeah. ass as a still as got a coffee officer. in his hand. He's yeah. like, well, it's time. That's that's the that's the siren. Yeah, but it's like when shit's popping off. It's like now you missing steps that you don't normally do it regularly. You get your radio, you get your yeah. vest, make sure your gun is armed and stuff. So like now that. your whole routine is off. It's all off. And if the guy fucking run past you, you go like, oh well, I'm not even ready. I'm not ready, and my job is to stop him. Stop him, and like <laughs> I don't have any. <laughs> so Sergeant Teasley pursued Nichols, and the two ran down seven flights of stairs. And out of the old courthouse through the emergency court, I mean, through the emergency exit onto Martin Luther King Drive. When Nichols exited the building, he sounded a door alarm. 
Uh, he heard he fired. I'm sorry. He fired several shots into the air, creating a chaotic situation um, on a crowded street. As he started crossing Martin Luther King, um, the door alarm sounded again because Sergeant Teasley was behind him because mm-hmm. he opened the door. Nichols pointed one of the guns at Teasley and fired two shots before the deputy could even draw his own gun. Sergeant Teasley fell to the ground and Nichols fled. Sergeant Teasley was presumably unaware of Nichols being armed or of the incident in the courtroom because he did not have his radio. Again, he just got to work. Yeah. So um, Barnes and Brandu died on the scene and Sergeant Teasley was pronounced DOA due to bleeding from a single gunshot wound to the abdomen at Grady Memorial Hospital. So this guy has killed three people. An extremely violent on his On his rampage. And I would like to say that, you know, I'm offended and shocked that, you know, people acting up like that on Martin Luther King, (laughs) on a Martin Luther King street, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, man. We we, 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 we talked about this. We we can get into that. We can get into that some other time. Yeah, we talked about this and I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. And I went, that's kind of true. I don't know. I only know about a couple Martin Luther King boulevards or drives Mm -hmm. and I go like, well, yeah, they are. I wouldn't be like, caught. I wouldn't get caught hanging out on the Martin Luther King no, Boulevard, man. the ones that I'm familiar with. No. And we can get into why the government made that decision, that, uh, like that. I, did, I know, never realized that. Most high, most high crime areas, that you know, usually, you know, you can find a Martin Luther King Boulevard or a Martin Luther King Avenue, and when you go on those streets, you're not seeing the publicly funded libraries no. and kids thriving and no. schools and at all. You know, it's it's bad, and I think that that's one of those. That's I, to me. That's one of those playing in your face type of things. Yeah, man. It I feels agree. like very. Pl- I agree. This guy who you know, you know, we hold in such high regard, and who, in the face of racism, you know, there are white people who would go to tell you, "Hey, man, you guys want to go out there and march and burn stuff? Why don't you act more like Martin Luther King?" But they just use that to, it's to pacify you, shut you up. Yeah. Like he was one. Of, he was the guy that we like. But they play in your face about how much they respect him because you know, I, I, I'm not. I never see that. You know, um, like. Uh, Taking his name and putting on something that you know, you you know, if the money is flowing into and people are doing well, it almost seems like they found the the most high crime and people are doing bad here. And they go, yeah, let's slap his name on this, and almost yeah. it's like it's his fault. Yeah, you know. Oh damn, I ain't that's it that way. <laughs> that's the playing in your face. Like, yeah, it's Martin Luther King's yeah, yeah. what you want. It's his dream. Yeah. Look at his dream. Yeah. That's how it feels to me. Maybe I maybe I think too far, but it's almost like whoever named that street is like, look, this is the dream he wanted. Look at his dream. Yeah, man. That's how it feels. Yeah. So I just never noticed that, man. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Hey, but listen, there's I a lot of cities and states all across the country. Somebody, hey, you know Martin Luther King. Is it King one Bull? in Utah? Is it one in like uh, You know some friend? I'm gonna go ahead and Indiana? take a wild I'm gonna go ahead and take a wild guess and say there is no Martin Luther King Boulevard in Utah. But I could be wrong. Salt Lake City listeners, if we have any, the, the more your Mormon asses. Let me know if I'm wrong. <laughs> let me know if, if there's a let's, let me know if there's a beautiful ass Martin anywhere, not just Utah, anywhere. If you, if there's a beautiful ass Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard anywhere in this in if this there's one at all. country, please let me. I would love to see it. I would love to go on that street and see kids, beautiful kids, reading books and sharing ice cream and having a good time. I just haven't experienced it, and it almost it feels intentional. Yeah. Uh, so Nichols ran across the street into an underground parking garage uh, across from the courthouse during his escape. And Nichols carjacked at least like three, three or four cars. Just on jumping his, in and out. On his, yeah, on his manhunt. So he first took a 2002 Mazda tribute from Deputy Solicitor General Dwayne Cooper, who was entering the parking garage. Nichols reportedly walked up to Cooper, pointed a gun at him, and said, Give it up, motherfucker. Mm. Cooper exited the, the car, and Nichols got in, backed out, and sped away in a vehicle down Martin Luther King Boulevard. Sure. 
He parked that car in it at the entrance of another parking garage so nobody could get in. And mm-hmm. at this time, somebody at the juvenile flat saw him mm-hmm. and they flagged down some Atlanta police officers. So now he has the the police officers on his trail now. Mm. So that's kind of why he kind of tried to block the entrance so nobody so could, could get in. not be disturbed while he's looking for his next car. Yeah. So he walks, but he walks out of the, they said the guy that, that saw him say he, they saw him walk calmly out of the parking garage that he blocked. A trick. And, you know, Trying to look like, oh, it's not me. I'm not who you're looking for. Right, yeah. Jedi mind trick. Uh, He walks out of the garage, steals a tow truck, drives that a couple blocks. Then he enters another parking garage. And then he hijacks a 2004 Mercury Sable. I used to have one. I don't know what year it was, but I did have one. Maybe the same year. I don't know. Great car. Great first car. Fatty. Yeah. The car has a fat ass on it. (laughs) Big. Yeah. Uh, So he takes the Mercury Sable drives to a, par- a store parking lot, leaves the car, then confronts Sung Chung in his 1997 Isuzu Trooper. Chung, who works at a jewelry store, there said that Nichols put a gun to his head, mm. first ordered him to get in the passenger seat, then to get on the floor. Chung said uh, Nichols was pulling out of the garage. He ordered him to give him his jacket so that he could change his appearance. And while Nichols was changing his jacket while he was driving, Chung uh-huh. saw the opportunity to unlock the passenger door, unlock the passenger door, and jump out. Fuck it! Before the car exited the parking lot, so he didn't even get far. Fuck it! He was like, "Fuck this! I don't know where you're going, but you're not taking me." There. I'm not going. <laughs> right. So Nichols drove to the Centennial Tower parking deck across from the CNN Tower at 9:20 a.m. and only 15 minutes after the first carjacking. Uh, AGC reporter Don O'Brien became the final carjacking victim. As O'Brien parked his SUV in a handicapped space, Nichols, who was wearing a T-shirt, got out of, got out of Chung's car and asked for directions to the Lenox, to Lenox Square. Uh, then he pulled a gun and said, give me the keys or I'll kill you. Mm. He ordered O'Brien out of the car and told him to get in the trunk. O'Brien was like, yeah, I won't be, I'm not doing that. Um, and Nichols Hit him in the hit him in the face with the gun, took O'Brien's 1987 Honda Accord, and O'Brien sustained a broken wrist and received 15 stitches above his eye. Hey, if I'm a survivor, live another day. Yeah, I'll take that all day. I'm not getting in a fucking trunk. <laughs> I'll take that all day. My assumption, if you put me in a trunk, is that I'm di- I'm dead. So I would rather I'd rather take a chance trying to run zigzag from a from the gun you have in your hand or play chicken that maybe you just you don't really want to kill somebody today. No. So Nichols was featured on America's Most Wanted. Again, he was on his fucking manhunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that night, the manhunt expanded, and they said that they got a phone call, 911 phone call, from a man claiming to be Nichols. And on the late night afternoon news conference that was being televised, Nichols threatened to kill Assistant District Attorney Gail Abramson and Assistant District Attorney Ash Joshi, who were prosecuting his rape case. Again, so he's going after he's going after everybody that has yeah, this anything is, to do with his rape case. This is like the reverse of that movie Law Abiding Citizen, where uh Gerard Butler, somebody killed his family. Uh-huh. So he killed but then they, they gave the killer a lenient sentence and so he killed everybody the judge, everybody. But oh, this shit. is like the opposite, like the criminal is going, I don't want to go to prison, so I'm gonna kill everybody involved in the case. Yeah. Which is insane. Like, why do you think that is logical? So Probably the dude that was crazy. prosecuted killed everybody? No, the dude who was the father of the family. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay. The the person who in the movie in yeah, the movie yeah, Law Abiding yeah. Citizen, 
his family was killed, and then the lawyer the lawyer up. took a deal oh, instead okay. of taking it to trial because oh, he, he was like he was like he was like I don't think we could win. I yeah. don't think we have enough evidence. But I got him. I got him fifteen years. Fuck that. And he was like fifteen years. He killed my wife and my daughter. He yeah. was like. Hey man, well, I don't think if we would have went to trial, I don't think he would have. He just killed the whole this is the best deal. Law attorney team. Yeah, he, we, that's what his goal was. He oh. started killing everybody. He wanted to kill the judge. Then Damn. he was like, I want to kill the all the district. I want to kill everybody. It just was like, I want to burn the whole system down. Damn. It just kept getting crazy. I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Uh, police later located located witness Michael Taylor, who said that she was on the train. I'm sorry, Michelle. Michelle. Yeah. Police later located a witness, Michelle Taylor, who said that she was on the train with Nichols that morning. She was the only person on the on the train that Nichols boarded, and she said that he was wearing a jacket that didn't fit. So like the sleeve, like I just imagine like too tight and too just, short. I don't know. It was like he's I, a big guy. I'm guessing too short. Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy. That, you notice that way more. I don't think you notice somebody's jacket's too big. That's kind of like, that's, that's yeah. subjective. But right, too yeah. small, you know it's too small. It's like the shit stop is for Yeah, arms. yeah, his whole, all his, yeah, all his arm is out. Yeah. He's a big dude. Then it's like, kind he's kind of hunched over in it because it's too tight. It's too tight, right. Yeah. It says she saw him wearing a jacket that didn't fit. He didn't have a shirt on and he was sweating profusely. Oh, that's insane. But Taylor didn't recognize him at first because she said that she didn't watch the news at all sure so she didn't realize but you look like fact. a sketchy character for sure yeah, you, well, you have no shirt on you tie, you're wearing sweating. a jacket to look like a disguise yeah that don't fit it's the, the guy it's from the, the car <laughs> so you're sweating like you, you just committed a crime but then you have on a jacket and some glasses like oh i'm just a professor going to he's go like, up yeah he's teach at a school walking around in my atlanta hawks uh <laughs> letterman's jacket that don't fit guy whoever he stole it from is like a small guy he's like hey i need this to the disguise. Yeah, I'm just hey, just an Atlanta Hawks fan here. Yeah. So Nichols ended up at Lennox Apartments around 10 p.m. So this is after he gets off the train. Yeah, after he gets off the train, mm-hmm. where he attempted to kidnap a young woman named uh, Iman Adnan. As she was walking home from the nearby gym, he pulled a gun on her and told her, "You know, I need to, I need a hiding place. Yeah. So I, we need to go back to your apartment." Wow. But after taking her to the apartment, he was surprised by the woman's boyfriend, Shelton Warren, who was already inside the apartment. Warren uh, pushed Miss At- Miss Atten inside the house, and he started wrestling with Nichols in the hallway. Wow. The two conf- uh, continued to fight, and Warren called, sorry, Warren could hear a historical uh, Adden called a 911 operator. They were in the oh, hallway. So the two continued to fight, and Warren could hear a hysterical uh, Adam called a 911 operator. Nichols could hear Adam calling the police, and Warren said, "If I heard, if I heard it, he also heard it." Yeah. So, uh, it's like when he's telling the story to the police or whatever later, right? Like okay. I heard him make the phone call, so he had to hear her mm-hmm. the same way. And Nichols struck Warren in the in the forehead with the gun mm. that he was holding, and then he fled. Got up out of there. Good. Luckily, nobody was shot. Absolutely. Um, luckily, he was home. Luck. Yes. Luckily, he was home. Yes. So the morning of Sunday, March 12th, Carpenters arrived for uh, a work. The morning of Saturday, March 12th, Carpenters arriving for work found U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement agent David G. Wilhelm dead in his unfinished house. It was reported that Wilhelm had been shot and killed late Friday night at his new home in Buckhead, in the Buckhead section of Atlanta. David lived across the street from the Lennox Apartments. That's where 
that incident happened with the the girl and her boyfriend. Yes, where he attempted to kidnap, where, where the kidnapping took place. At the time of his slaying, Wilhelm had been working alone, laying tiles in his bathroom of the home, which was under construction. Said Kenneth Smith, who was a special agent in the in charge of the ICE office. Agent Williams' body, I'm sorry, Wilhelm's body was found in the back bedroom and had been shot one time in the abdomen. Mm. It was apparent he had been robbed because the pockets of his pants were turned inside out and some loose change was also scattered all over the floor. One uh, spent shell casing was found next to the body and Agent Wilhelm's wallet with his badge, his gun, and his blue Chevrolet pickup truck were all stolen. Mm. So he's killed somebody. He's trying to kidnap somebody. Got into a fight with the boyfriend. Yeah. Goes across the street, murders a guy. Who's like a, a government worker. Yes. Murders him in his, in, in his house. Then around 2 a.m. on March 12th, Nichols approached a woman named Ashley Smith in the parking lot of the Bridgewater Apartments. He pointed a gun at her and said, if you do what I say, I won't kill you. He forced her inside her apartment and reportedly told her that he was a wanted man. So Nichols forced her into the bathroom, tied her up with an electrical cord and, and duct tape. He placed a hand towel over her head while he took a shower so that she didn't have to watch him while he took a shower. I guess uh, it's you know, courteous. This is courteous. You know, hey, he didn't want to be weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm robbing you, but I don't want yeah, you. I don't want you. You don't, I don't want you like looking at my dick or anything like yeah. that. That's weird. I'm not, a, I'm not like a creep. Yeah, right. So she was sitting on a stool with the towel around her eyes when she told him about her five-year-old daughter, Paige, and how she was supposed to visit her that day thinking she may never see her daughter again, so she tried to reason with him. Mm -hmm. Smith was held hostage for several hours in her apartment, during which Nichols requested marijuana, but Smith told him she only had ice. I don't know if that's like a... That's That's crystal meth. Methamphetamine. Yeah, uh uh-huh. In her book, Unlikely Angel, Ashley Smith, she wrote a book after this all happened. Okay. In her book, Unlikely Angel, The Untold Story of Atlanta's Hostage Hero... Smith revealed that she had been struggling with a methamphetamine addiction when she was taken hostage. And the last time she used meth was 36 hours before Nichols had a gun to her head and entered her home. (sighs) Nichols wanted her to take the drug with him, but she refused. Good for her. Yeah. Instead, she chose to read a book. She tried to convince Nichols to turn himself in by sharing with him uh, how her husband had died in her arms four years earlier after being stabbed in a brawl. Mm. Smith also writes that she asked Nichols if he wanted to see the danger of drugs and lifted up her tank top several inches to reveal a five-inch scar down the center of her torso. The aftermath of a car wreck caused by drug-induced psychosis. She says... You good? Yeah, yeah. All right. She she says she let go of the steering wheel when she heard a voice saying, let go and let God. So she's... this Miss Ashley, she's been through some stuff. Wow. But this is kind of like, you know, I mean, I know she's like, this is all, you know, natural and yeah. organic, but. What? Crystal meth? No, I mean, like, oh. what, I'm talking about her story, what she's been through. Oh, but got it, got it, got it. Yeah. I was like, I thought. She, no, I was she's like, explained it to. No, it's kind of like buttering him up a little bit, but it's like, this is also true. And it's like, I've been through some to, rough times. She's too. trying to help him mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so when the news of his crimes were reported on television, Nichols looked at the ceiling and asked the Lord to forgive him. Mm-hmm. 
Nichols said that he needed to go, he needed to get the stolen truck away from the apartments. So he told Smith to follow him in her car while he drove to Agent while he drove Agent Williams' pickup truck away from the complex. She asked whether she could bring her cell phone, and he said she could, but she never called for help. She picked him up after he dropped off the truck and drove back to her home with him. Get out of here. Yeah. Her decision had a purpose. She feared that he would kill more people if she did not do what he said. Wow. Yep. That is selfless. Yeah. So she had taken it upon herself to end the manhunt. After they returned to her apartment, Smith cooked breakfast breakfast for Nichols. She began to ask him if she could leave to go see her, her daughter. Again, she told him in the beginning that she's supposed to go see her daughter. Yeah. He finally agreed to let her go. When Nichols left Smith in her apartment that morning to visit her daughter, Smith placed a 911 call at about 9.50 a.m. So police received that 911 call from Ashley Smith, who said that Nichols was at her Duluth, Georgia apartment, and Gwinnett Police, uh, the, the, the Georgia Bureau uh, of Inves- Investigation, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms responded to the scene. The Gwinnett PD SWAT team quickly surrounded the apartment. After some time, Nichols walked out of the apartment waving a white towel and surrendered peacefully to the SWAT team 26 hours after, after the rampage began. Authorities recovered several stolen firearms and Special Agent Williams' uh, wallet. The stolen truck was discovered two miles from the apartment. Mm-hmm. So they did all that. So as soon as she got out, she called the police. And then by her telling this story, the police thought that Smith had a prior relationship with Nichols. But she said that she was just, she was chosen at random. Right. And they said that she was a remarkable human being and she built, she managed to build rapport with this guy. Yeah. To make herself a person, not just an object. And she has the amazing capability for survival. But Smith downplayed her efforts and later said that throughout my time with Mr. Nichols, I can continue to rely on my faith in God. And God has helped me through tough times, and he will help me now. So, I mean, like, she wasn't hurt, more importantly, and this guy was able to be captured because he kind of, like, you know, let off he started believe, And he started, yeah, he started believing in this woman. Yeah, yep. Exactly. I mean, if he's in any right state of mind, when he gives her a car and tells her, like, follow me, yeah, and she yeah. does, that'll fuck you up. Yeah. Where you go, damn, I mean, this person... Believes in me, yeah. But yeah. you're not because I would the way I would have turned whatever right way that he turned out when he went to where he was going. The way I would have turned the other way and went right to a police station is Could've. crazy. Easy, you know? yeah. But it's for her to go, then he's gonna go do this to somebody else. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, yeah, it is. So on March twenty fifth, two thousand five, Ashley Smith received seventy thousand in reward money for helping uh, with the Nichols capture. Uh huh. She received twenty five thousand from the U.S. Marshal's office, twenty thousand from the FBI. Okay. 10000 from Georgia government, Sonny Purdue's office. Do it up. 5000 from uh, the Georgia Sheriff's Association. Uh-huh. 5000 from the, the Georgia Fraternal Order of Police. And 5000 from the city of Atlanta. And she previously received 2500 from the Georgia Association of Chiefs of Police. Jeez. So she, got, she got a nice she little got, bag. Yeah, six figs. Yeah, nice little bag. You know um, what I mean? So on May... 5th of 2005, Nichols was indicted by the Fulton County Grand Jury on 54 counts, including murder, felony murder, kidnapping, on robbery, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, theft, carjacking, 
and escaping from authorities. Nichols initially pleaded not guilty with his lawyer, stating that he wanted to def- he wanted to defend Nichols on the basis of mental health. That was the whole thing in his case was yeah. him trying to plead for mental health and you know trying to get off. Um, he had one of the most most expensive cases, uh, topping three million for the prosecution and the defense combined. Yeah. So the case presided over the superior judge, judge superior judge Hilton Fuller, and was set to take place in July in the same courtroom in which the murders had taken place. The trial was placed on hold to find new accommodations as the Superior Court Judge James Bodyford yeah. ruled that fundamental fairness made a different location necessary. For sure. While awaiting trial, Nichols was found to be planning another escape. Oh, man. He was like, man, I got to get the fuck out of here. These again. charges are even worse than the first time. Right. And he was moved to DeKalb, DeKalb County Jail in October of 2006. The trial began on September 22nd of 2008 in Atlanta, municipal court where Nichols pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. So during the trial, prosecution sought to discredit Nichols' claims of mental instability by playing the audio recordings of the murders. So they pulled out whatever they could to be like, there's nothing wrong with this guy. He was completely yeah. aware of everything that he was doing. And the judge was like, I'm not, I'm not buying it. Yeah. So the judge deliberated for 12 hours over two days before finding Nichols guilty of 54 counts on November 7th, 2008. On December 13th of 2008, Nichols was sentenced to multiple life sentences with no chance of parole. Bodiford handed, handed down the maximum sentence on each of the charges to run consecutively. Nichols was spared multiple death sentences because they couldn't get a unanimous decision from the, uh, from the jury. Right. As required by Georgia law to recommend the death penalty. Bodiford said, if there was any more I could give you, I would. And Nichols is currently incarcerated in Georgia's Diagnostic and Classification State Prison. And I'm guessing that's in like the Atlanta area somewhere. Or Georgia. Uh, so some family members file lawsuits. Judge Barnes' widow, that's, that's the judge that was killed, that was shot in the back of the head yeah. during trial. His widow won $5.2 million in the lawsuit. Mm. The county commissioners agreed to pay $5 million to Julianne Brandu's daughter. That was the court reporter Who was also that was killed. killed. Yep. Yeah. And um, her name was Christian Schultz. And again, Ashley Smith wrote a book that I mentioned earlier about her ordeal with Nichols titled Unlikely Angel, the untold story of Atlanta hostage hero, if anybody interested in reading that. Mm-hmm. And the book was adopted into the film Captive in 2015. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Captive. No, I missed that one. I'm at the Red Box. I, that's not one. At I the Red Box. Why I got to be at the Red Box? I just... <laughs> Why are you doing that, man? Don't, why are you disrespecting some people's movies, man? I'm not Look, disrespecting anybody. Well, oh, so, so what? Who's you can't. Who's the star? I don't know. Don't before you go on your thing. What is the movie called again? And what year? Did it Captive in 2015. Okay, but you don't gotta say it's a red box. There's all kind of. Why are you shitting on shit on? Uh, Captive 2015. You know something? Oh, I, I, is this it? Hey, man, it's some solid. It's some no, solid no, I know. That's why I'm just trying to read the Captive. Uh, True story about Brian Nichols. You know what? Because yeah, that's Rooney Mara. Go back. And Go that's, back. That was, Go uh, back. That's Omar. Uh, that's Rest Michael, peace, Michael, Michael Kenneth Rest Williams. Rest in peace. And uh, David Oyelowo. Oh, this is a star-studded cast. Th- it probably was in the red box, but um, I stand corrected. My bad. Hey. My bad, man. This hey, is don't a, come this is, this is the What's the Rotten Tomato score? Um, 27%. It's a bad Ooh. movie. But it is. They, right. that's not a cast that's bullshit. Yeah. Okay, I'm David Oyelowo is an incredible actor. I'm not going to refuse being in the red box. I'm not going to. It's 27%, and I've never heard of it before. 
It's definitely was as, was at the Red Box. But if you look at it on paper, it shouldn't have been. It's got Michael K. Williams and David Oyelowo and uh, Kate Mara, not Rooney Mara. Uh, great cast. Bad movie. With a square low, I want to know how bad is the movie. <sighs> well, it's based on a true story, so that's more so. They must they felt this story was so bad that it was not not believable. Damn. All I right. mean, if a movie's it's a it's a real it's a true story. Yeah. How can it be bad? So uh, I don't I don't know. I, I tell you what, never find out. Hey man, anyway. look. If anybody has a movie, please let us know because I won't. Be yeah, who's it. seen Captive, starring David Oyelowo, based on a true story of what we just we'll talked. David. Yeah, Brian. Actually, this sounds so entertaining. Like like it sounds like wild. He like you think it would be action packed, right? And escaped prison. And yeah. Maybe I don't know. Maybe there's like a trailer on YouTube or something. We'll check it out. Yeah. Most time. We'll but uh, that was the story of Brian G. Nichols. I mean, this dude. Essentially trying to win after everybody that was in charge of his rape case, which was a retrial. But he was like, hey, look, if I finish, if I, if I, uh, if, anyway, I'm gonna beat this case is by getting rid of everybody. Yes. And he tried that and wild theory. Yeah. And ended with him going to prison forever. Uh huh. And shout out to Miss Ashley Smith, who was just like, I need to end this myself. Yes. And, I'll take that responsibility. So shout out to her. And she got yes. she got handsomely paid for that. She got 70, 70 bands. Yes. Um, and she's alive. But and she's alive. Shout out to her. And, and she wrote a book that was adapted into a movie, apparently. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that great. But, you know, yeah. hey. But that was the story of Brian G. Nichols. And um, I was captivated by your storytelling. <laughs> yeah, I man. can't believe this, the movies has a 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, so. Hey, well, I won't be watching it. So for sure. Shout out to them. But, guys. you know, if you find yourself at a red box and you want to watch Hey, man, stop saying that, man. Sorry, my bad. Um, what's the other one? I don't know. Oh, I don't go to those things, so you know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Why don't you go to those things? Whoa, Fred! Whoa, what are you bougie? Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, what we're gonna do is we're, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna tell you guys some fucked up shit some more. So stick around. All right, and we are back, Fran. My affirmative murder this week is the story of Nathaniel Code. Okay. Okay. Uh, my sources were. Uh, Murderpedia, shout out to Murderpedia, and also the um, KTLA.com, which was the um, like the local news station in which the city uh, where the story took place. Okay. So um, Nathaniel Cole was born on March 12, 1956 in Shreveport, Louisiana. At the age of 20 years old, Nathaniel was charged with the rape of a young woman. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison, but was released on good behavior in 1984 after serving just eight. Man, that's it? That's it, but that is like... This sounds that standard. Knowing oh. the legal system, I mean, he served over. That's over fifty percent of your sentence. Like, hate, he's eligible I, for parole. I, I so hate that so much. Yeah, I get it. I I know, but I'm saying like, as crazy as it sounds, eight out of fifteen is more than some people. A lot of people serve these days for you know violent crimes like this. You know? So why doesn't that play effect in like a murder case? If you're not eligible for parole, you have to serve your whole sentence. So there's that. You know, in cap in most states, murder is not. A parolable, I mean, uh, yeah, murder is not a parolable offense. So you got to serve your, you got to serve your sentence. Murder at all is not. A, I thought you could. Maybe know. second degree, oh, maybe second, something oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. But like capital murder, if you murder yeah, yeah. somebody, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I, I don't think you're eligible for par- parole. I guess, yeah, no, I'm twenty five. You get twenty five years with you know elig- eligibility for parole. So wait, I'm second, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. I always forget. Second degree is not premeditated, right? Second, well, degree is is not, second degree is not premeditated. First right, degree not, is premeditated. First degree, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, second degree is like a fight, fall, hit yeah, your head, right. something like that. Yeah. Second degree murder. 
Uh, shortly after his release for the rape of a young woman, he returned to Shreveport, and Cold got a job at Fitzgerald's Contractors. Okay. But after 1985, in which an incident where he, was a, where he attacked a co-worker over what radio station they would listen to at work, Cold was fired. So it lets you know this guy's temper, hothead, doesn't know how to contain his emotions at work. Come on, like, be professional. On February 3rd, 1986, he met 27-year-old Vera Code. Obviously, her name, maiden name was not Code, but that's what she became once they got married. Um, once he was married, he then took on the role of a reformed convict. Like, you know, he started carrying himself like a guy who changed his ways. Okay. But it was a facade. Like, like trying to mentor others and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, I used to, you know, now I have a job and a wife, and I don't do that dumb stuff anymore. But this was all a facade. It was all a trick. It was a lie. Secretly, he was back to prowling the streets for more potential victims. That didn't last long. Not at all. And on August 31st, 1984, Nathaniel snuck into the home of Deborah Ann Ford, a 25-year-old mother of two. He gained access through a bathroom window, bound Ford with an electrical cord, gagged her, and stabbed her 18 mm. times, and then cut her throat so severely that she was nearly decapitated. Wow. Extremely violent. Mm. Cold fled to his home nearby after committing this gruesome murder, only to return amongst the gathering crowd outside the apartment crime scene tape the day after Ford's body was discovered. So he pops back up, you know, amongst the crowd, pretending to Fantastic. not know what's going on yeah. or be concerned about this thing that he couldn't have no That's idea gross. about what's happening. It's it's weird, man, how the that kill the killer always returns to the scene of the crime is so wild i remember watch i watched a video that stuck with me probably about five years ago and i I go back to every once in a while it was one of those um i can't remember what youtube channel it was but it was a dude he had this curly afro this long black curly afro and he killed his neighbor in an apartment complex and they interviewed him the day that her body was found and he and they're like did you know her he's like no not really that well but she was so nice and she was a good person and you know i would see her running uh, around the neighborhood when she would jog and stuff and she just was so nice and they got some kind of tip that this guy stalked her or something like that. So they brought him in for interrogation. And after, you know, they talked to him for hours and hours and hours. And eventually they broke down and it turned out that he was the guy that committed the crime. Wow. But he was so willing to go talk to the cameras That's crazy. and give information about this girl. And he was the guy that killed her. It was, it was People are wild, man. That's like that killer always returns to the scene of the crime. Yeah, because they go like, they're not. If I, you know, go and do this. Mm -hmm. They like if I voluntarily do this, they go. No, nah, they're not. Going. They wouldn't no suspect me. There's also like kind of a thrill about it. Like you know, I'm here. Oh no, nobody knows. Yeah, I know what happened. Yeah, it's, it's sick. You're sick. It's it's a sick. You're sick. It's a sickness. Approximately a year later, on July nineteenth, nineteen eighty five, Code committed an even more abhorrent crime. He forced open the back door of a home full of people and slaughtered them. Vivian Cheney, her boyfriend Billy Joe Harris her brother, Jerry Colbert, and her 15-year-old daughter, Carlita Colbert, were all killed. Mm. Harris had been shot twice in the head, wow. twice in the chest, and his throat had been slashed. He had been bound by shoelaces and telephone cords. Come on, man. Yeah, but it's his MO. Jerry Colbert was not bound, but had been fatally shot at, a, at close range in the head while sleeping. Vivian Cheney was found bound with electrical cord, draped over the edge of the bathtub where she had been drowned. How was he able to kill all these people? Oh, I'll get into that. It's it's sick in a lot of the, the tactics he used, but I do have some explanation for that, and it, it, it might answer your question. Um, young Carlita, who was the 15-year-old daughter of, of Vivian, 
was found in the living room, also bound with electrical cord, and like Ford, had been viciously slashed in the throat area. The killer managed to display even just a slight ounce of humanity and spared the lives of Cheney's youngest girls, ages 10 and 7. I got a question. Mm-hmm. Do you think the throat slash is a confirmation type of thing where it's like, okay, I know. Or if, do you think he does that last? I think so. I think, I think in my mind, not to get too gruesome, obviously, it's a true crime podcast, but I think you stab somebody 18 times, you stab them 18 times, and then you finish off with this throat slash to go, like you just said, I know that this person is dead. Yeah. I think so. That makes sense to me. Mm. I don't think you start there and then violently yeah, attack their yeah. body. You know, I think that's like a, it's like a, I think just, a headshot is a last shot. Yeah, it reminds so, me yeah. of like a, uh, one of those old time medieval type of movies. Yeah, like, like finish. They go around and at the war, they go around and just to check. Yeah. Do they last all around? He's like, make sure they Anybody's right. still alive? Yeah, it's just, just oh, cut the, man. Yeah, uh, it's, it's really brutal. Mm-hmm. And this guy's he's a really fucking brutal person. So that also lends to your uh, theory as well. So I would agree with you on that one. So everyone in the home was either mentally challenged or visually impaired, except for Harris. Billy Joe Harris was the boyfriend of Vivian Cheney. He was the only person that was not mentally impaired or blind in some kind of way. A jogger that knew Code later recalled that he had seen Code on the night of the murders covered in blood. And I'm still baffled at how you have to recall that, like running into, you run into somebody that you know vaguely, like from work or something like that, covered in blood. Yeah. And his excuse was, oh, I got in a fight tonight, man. But, you know, I, I, I came out on the I came out the winner of that. Drenched, drenched in blood, like yeah. blade. Like, you know, at, at the end of every blade, he's yeah. losing the fight. And then he like falls into a tub of blood yeah. and then becomes blade again. Covered in blood like that. Just dripping in blood. And he's like, oh, a bar fight. And you go, all right, man, have a good night. And then a, a cop has to come to you and go, did you see anything funny that night? You go, yeah. no. No. Actually, you know something? I I was jogging and then I ran into Nathaniel and he was just like dripping in blood. Yeah. And he said he got no bar fight. And so I went, okay. <laughs> bar but now that you mentioned, now that I know this happened, like maybe he, I don't know, maybe he had something to do with this murder thing, huh? You think maybe possibly? You're like, <laughs> Dumbass. So do you think that's possible that he has something to do with this yeah. thing? He's like, yeah, yeah, man. Thanks for the, thanks for the information. Have a good night. Uh, by all accounts, Nathaniel Cole was a random and vicious killer who could have potentially gone on to commit several more atrocities before being apprehended. Mm. But he committed a carnal sin in the world of being a sick and disgusting homicidal maniac, Fran. Oh. He killed someone close to him. Nathaniel Cole's last murder would be, on, would be committed on August 5th of 1987. Among his victims were his grandfather, William, mm. along with Eric Williams, who was eight, and Joe Robinson, who was 12. Now, just talked about how he spared two kids yeah. who were seven and 10 years old. So again, we do this a lot on this podcast where we go, I wonder, I just can't see myself doing that. Or You can't how help do you it, get, though. But you, it's like you can't fathom the logic of a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> so in his mind, he goes, those are kids. I don't hurt kids. But then he sees kids who, he, who are familial to him that are staying at his grandfather's house, probably call him Uncle Nate or whatever. Yeah. And he goes, I'll kill them because they know me and they saw me kill my grandfather. So it immediately goes out of the window when it benefits him directly. Yeah. It's hard to, you can't, but you can't help yourself to try to understand. You, you want to jump in the head of these people. You can't deviate. And go, I would never go. do that. Exactly. Yeah. You just can't. 
But you want to though, but like you can't. Yeah, because it just <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense. Right. If you if you use your logic, yeah, you can't use your logic. It, it's impossible. So, uh, like I said, uh, he kills his grandfather William, William Code, along with Eric Williams, who was eight years old, and Joe Robinson, who was twelve years Your old. Own blood, man. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. The, so, uh, just these are his grandfather's his blood, but these two kids yeah. are um, like family friends. Okay. But the same way that, like, you know. Max calls me Uncle Alvin. Yeah. You know, we're not blood, but we're family. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. So they, they're at the house all the time and they're staying with his grandfather. His grandfather, William Code, is watching these two young boys. Yeah. Like they're his grandsons as well. Yeah. But he's probably seen these kids. Oh, for sure. No, for sure. The, this is a, a familial relationship. Yes. These are the, the, this is they're at the cookouts and family reunions and all that stuff. They they are they are they are by all intents and purposes family. Right. But for him to spare people he don't know that are kids and go like, you know, whatever, but I won't spare these kids. These kids also that I, yeah, I but I, that I do know. That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. I can't. <laughs> and now you got it. I think he's got it. Exactly. <laughs> it is crazy. It's very crazy. Yeah. So the the senior code, William Code, the grandfather, was bound with electrical cord and gagged, and he had died as a result of thirteen stab wounds and a vicious Jesus. beating. So I don't know which came first, but he beat the shit out of his own grandfather and then stabbed him 13 times. It was five in the front, seven in the back. No throat slit? No throat, no throat slash. I think, mm. I think he got so much of it out with the beating and then so. the, based on where the, the stab wounds were on the front and the back. So William Cole put up a fight. But do you think that the throat, him not doing that was, has it, to do with him being like that? That's some, my grandfather. It could have been. It could have been. I'm not going to uh, desecrate your body that way. I'm going to be respectful to you in some kind of way. Which is Wild. wild. Absolutely <laughs> fucking wild. And that's why we can't even begin to try to go, I would never stab my grandfather 13 times, but why would you slash his throat and or not slash his throat, but slash this person's throat, but not kill these kids, but kill these kids? It's all crazy. And you can't put your logic into it. Just you you you'll never be able to relate or find the 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 the, the connect the dots of what why he got from point A to point B. So uh, Will, Williams, the youngest of the two boys, was discovered in a guest bedroom, strangled to death. And Robinson was beaten and strangled before being left for dead in the home's living room. Wow. Both boys Jeez. had only underpants on and had also been bound and gagged. Mm. A neighbor of William Cole witnessed Nathaniel Cole leaving his grandfather's residence on the evening of the murders. And even though it was well known that William Cole did not welcome his grand his grandson Nathaniel into his his home. So, a neighbor saw Nathaniel Cole leaving William Cole's house, and and that's like street neighborhood block gossip of, you know, he's not allowed over here. Yeah. So that's weird to see mm. Nate. Yeah. Coming out of his grandfather's house because you know his grandfather banned him after he did such and such and such and such to right. this person, or he disrespected his house. So he's not supposed to be there. And somebody saw him leaving there, mm. but thought nothing nothing of it. The next day, William Cole's dead. Kids are dead in the house. Boom. Oh, Nathaniel Cope, uh, we saw Nate leaving yep. the house, and he's not supposed to be over here. Mm. Boom. So it's just funny, like, how close, you you never know how close people could have gotten to getting away with something. Yeah. And then one person saw something and connected a dot yep. and just, you know, made enough of a, a face of you to bring your name to a detective, yep. and now you're called in for questioning. Once they get you in that interrogation room, not many people beat detectives in that interrogation room. You slip up in some kind of way. And they got you in that room, they got something on you. And this, this time's no different. So Code himself actually admitted to being in the home late that night after being placed into custody by police. When the suspected killer's fingerprints matched those lifted from the Cheney murder house where four people were killed, 
Cold's luck had officially run out and he was arrested for multiple homicides. So he was brought in because his grandfather was murdered. They got a fingerprint uh, from him. And then that fingerprint matched one found at the Cheney residence where four people were murdered brutally. The changes in Cold's MO exhibited from case to case displayed how the MO had refined over time. For example, in the first murder, Code gagged the victim with material found at the scene. And the next time, he brought duct tape. So the first time, it was electrical cords and all this type of stuff. But then something must have went wrong in a way where electrical cord wasn't good for a gag. So he brings duct tape the next time. He's he's refining and fixing how things go at these scenes. Now you walk around with a bag on. Yeah, like a devil bag. His bag, that. yeah, with tools and things to make his yeah. make his job go smoother. His hunt, his hunt. Because that's what he's doing. He's hunting people, and I'll get into that as well. Code also kept his victims under surveillance to acquire information on them, especially with the second killings in the Cheney house. In that case, he brought a gun to the scene to give him an advantage against the males because he knew that there were two because he was stalking them. That reminds me of that that killing that just happened. What was that with the with the. Uh the girls, what, what was that at? I'm not sure I know this one. The one recently, that just happened. Where? Here? Uh, or no, it wasn't here. Was the murder, that murder that happened at the house? At the college? Yeah. Was that the yeah, I didn't get all the full details. Is that the one? I don't know if that's the one you're talking about. It was the-, the college students who were killed by yeah, one guy? Yeah, by one guy. But what I'm, what I'm alluding to is like, there was a spot where you can sit. If they showed a parking lot where you could sit and see the and house. Just see the whole inside of like, whatever windows. Yeah. Like, you never know. Now, he could have been sitting there for- just to see what the best time the strike it. was. Yeah. yeah. Especially with like a house with multiple people in it. It's like yeah. you got to have a plan. For sure. You can't just walk in there. Exactly. And try to like kill like five people. Yeah. What, just that sentence in itself is crazy to yeah. think that you are capable of doing something like that. Which we'll get into that as well too because that comes up in his defense from his, from his attorneys and from himself. But Nathaniel Code stalked these people. Knew that there were two men in the house. Even though I'm sure his from his, interi- uh, from his stalking he noticed that. Some people were visually impaired. Some people were mentally yeah, challenged. Yep. So he sees those as advantages, but he also knows there's two dudes. I'm at a disadvantage. I yeah. can't just come here with a knife and do yeah. my normal thing. So I'm bringing a gun, and I'm going to come late at night to give me a better chance of getting in, sneaking in, and people are asleep yep. so I can catch people off guard. One of the guys never got out of the bed. He was shot in the head while he was sleeping. Wow. So he gave himself the best opportunity to be able to commit the most damage in that house by watching them before he attacked. Yep. So like I said, in the Cheney house, he used a gun. But since the last victims were an elderly man and two children and posed little threat to him, Cole did not use a gun on them. So he picks and chooses and scopes out his situations and brings the proper tools for the job, as sick as that sounds. In total, Cole faced eight counts of first-degree murder. He denied killing anyone. Cole was tried only for the murders of Cheney and the Colbert family. The trial began in September of 1990. According to prosecutors, Code stalked each of his victims at night while riding his bike. Although on trial for four murders, the prosecution brought up the coroner who described all of Code's murders, saying that they were all methodical, controlling, and brutal. Code chose not to take the stand, but his his defense presented evidence that Code could not have committed these murders due to the fact that it would take more than one person to kill four people at the same time. So his lawyer's defense was, this was so brutal and violent that he couldn't have done it by himself. Yeah. But they did not offer an alternative to that theory. So really all you're doing is doubling down on, 
this dude is a fucking monster. Right. Because nobody should be able to do this. Yeah. But if you don't offer an alternative theory. It's like, okay, so what do you think? What yeah, happened? so what happened? It's like, well, I don't know. But like, I mean, could you kill four people at the same time? It's like, not at all. So yeah. this dude must be a really fucking monstrous person capable of terrible things. Right. So I don't think it had the effect that he thought. But I think it looped into Nathaniel Code's brain. So even after he loses the case, which I'll get into, he kept on with that theory. He's like, you think I could kill four people? Come on, who can kill four people? You. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why you're guilty. So the defense also argued that if he were to be found guilty, Code should not be sentenced to death due to him having several mental health problems, including borderline personality disorder. So they're like, he didn't do it. But even if he did do it, he, he really isn't. He shouldn't be like held to fully responsible so it's like you know you're talking out of both sides of your mouth which is what a lawyer is yeah by the end of the trial more than 450 pieces of evidence have been presented wow with 106 witnesses having taken the stand mm. the jury of five men and seven women took only one hour to find Cole guilty of four first degree murder charges Damn, that was quick oh yeah he was sentenced to death yeah that whole uh how could one person have done this it's impossible that didn't work <laughs> The following year, in July of 1991, Code filed an appeal in which he alleged that he had been overwhelmed during the trial, causing him to make bad legal decisions. So he's like, I need a do-over because that wasn't fair. I was stressed out. He also continually denied committing the murders, contesting that he could not have murdered four people at the same time. His death sentence was upheld by the Louisiana Supreme Court, and in August of 1994, a Shreveport, Louisiana judge scheduled Code to be executed by lethal injection on September 29th of that year. However, due to Code planning to appeal to a federal court, the execution had to be postponed. A new execution date was set for May 15th of 1995, but it was delayed once again by a district judge who agreed to review the documents in the case. So he just agreed to take a look at them, and while I'm doing that, we're going to put a pose on your execution date again. Yeah. Nathaniel Code still currently resides on death row in Louisiana, where he has been for over 30 years. In 2013, Code was one of three inmates at Louisiana State Penitentiary to file lawsuits against the extremely hot temperatures in the prison. According to them, they would suffer extreme heat as high as 195 degrees. Damn! With the heat index, <laughs> with, with, with the heat index in the summer and said it was a risk of serious harm or death. Family members of Code's victims expressed their extreme rejection towards this request, mentioning what he did to put himself on death row. According to Albert Colbert Jr., the brother of Carlita Colbert, he lost all those privileges that you and I have. He lost the air conditioning privilege. He lost that. The Colberts, we didn't put him on death row. He did that when he decided to take my sister's life and my brother, my niece, Billy Joe Harris, Deborah Ford, Mr. William, and the other two little boys. He did that, and now he's got the nerve? So clearly that young man was upset. Um, and listen, uh, that, that's, the, that's the end of the story. Uh, he is currently still sitting on death row. But I got I to gotta <laughs> make the devil's advocate argument, right? Okay. That 195 degrees is fucking nuts, right? That's I mean, that's nuts. Listen, this guy's a monster. He killed people. But like, I don't know what the other two people involved in that lawsuit did or the other two people in, or other people in that prison, we can always find an anecdote, not anecdotal. It's, you know, people do bad stuff and they end up in prison, but people do stuff that's like gray, petty, whatever, and end up in prison too. So should everyone be subjected to 195 degree weather or temperatures bec because we can find one guy that's like, well, he deserves that. He should be in hell. 195 degrees is nuts. It is hell. 
It is hell. <laughs> it's literally hot as hell. So how do you feel about that? Oh, he deserves it. Absolutely. <laughs> so fuck his lawsuit. He shouldn't be. It's like nah, throw his lawsuit out. No, nah, fuck that. Now, <laughs> but what, are you saying that crazy. everybody else? That I don't know. If they're saying this is the common area, this is, you know, where they play basketball or whatever. I don't know wh- where this is. If this is death, this is what death row is like. I don't know if it's this is. They only put death row inmates in this area of the prison where it gets this hot. I don't know. 195 degrees is fucked up, man. It's inhumane, degrees. but it's inhumane oh, to kill people and stab them thirteen times and cut their throat. That's the thing. That's the argument, right? Yeah, but like death row, then you you killed you killed somebody. somebody. Did something horrible. Allegedly, though, because we've done stories and there's a tons of stories of people who like I wrongly com- wrongly convicted, right? So I don't know. Do you, just 195 degrees is insane. For you can't breathe. That's like being in the oven. It's like somebody putting you in the oven. That's but I mean, like, how do you? How does that? That can't be real, right? <laughs> You think it's an exaggeration? It has to be. Like, how, what are even the circumstances that it... Like, that's why. Like, what's the hottest day on record? Probably like 120. Is that like artificial heat? They, yeah, they, 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 that's, that's, that's torture. They're like, we, we brought some uh, space heaters in and put them all around, nah, and it's 105 degrees outside. We cranked the space heaters up too. Fuck you guys. Nah. That's torture. Because it's like, let's say the so hottest... How do you work there? Right? Like, the guards have to be there too. Yeah. Do they, they're, they're inside in the air conditioning. Looking like cool as it like oh you can hear the you can hear the hum from the air conditioning unit and just yeah. see them inside not a drip of sweat Drinking on them sprite and shit. oh man <laughs> behind glass with silence you see you can see lips smacking like yeah and you're just dying your sweat drips off you hit the ground like, no way no, no you hit the ground no and way. the ground the sizzles the, the it evaporates the sweat no way they put that much money into something like that <laughs> no way man <laughs> Yeah, we we heat torture our uh, our death row inmates. That's, that'd be crazy. One hundred ninety five no, degrees no is, way in, is inhumane. It's inhumane. So you think it's an exaggeration? I do. Do I think these guys deserve it? Yes. Yeah. But like being one hundred ninety five degrees, what is that? It just sounds what like it's, you can't even. It's yeah, it's like it. come on, man. Like you guys are gonna kill them. You don't gotta. If just kill me. Right. Don't leave me out here. No. Don't. What are you doing? That's crazy. You're gonna bake me. Nah, man. Yeah. Don't slow kill me. Don't slow bake me like I'm the dessert. <laughs> like I'm some cookies. Don't toll house me. No, that's that's inhumane, man. That's, that's inhumane. Yeah, that's inhumane. They deserve it, yes, but you can't do that. Come you just on. can't yeah, do that. To you people. can't do that. Like fuck them, man. You look at the the um the therm. You look at the the look at the little wall thermostat. It's like gone. It's past. The, it's all the heat that it can register is is filled, is filled up. You're not getting no water. Come nothing? on, man. Nah, that's insane. Nah, you would die. Or you fuck around and you go to sip your water. Same thing. You sip your water. You drop it on the ground. It evaporates so quickly and that's gone. So it's hot. just so hot. The water's just gone. If you if you don't, you can't fuck up. Yeah, that's insane. So no, but that was the story of Nathaniel Code and absolutely. Yeah, you would die. You would just sweat out. You wouldn't. You would die. Would, yeah. You would dehydrate everything. I don't <laughs> think you can survive 195 degrees for an extended period of time. And they've done it. They what they're saying is we've experienced this long enough that we're suing now. No way. So I don't know. I who 195 degrees sounds mm. insane. You wouldn't be able to breathe at all. No, at all. No, it would be. You know, it's crazy. It's like being in the oven. But yeah, that was the story of Nathaniel Cole, an absolute, absolute monster um, and piece of shit who is on death row currently. And that's where he will sit until he either dies a natural death or death from lethal injection. That was my affirmative murder. What we're going to do is we're going to get into these good vibes.
That's right, folks. It's time for some good vibes. Let's get reinvigorated, get our energy up before we send you guys off into the world to do good or do whatever it is that you like, as long as it's not hurting anybody. That's how I feel, friend. As long as you do what you want in life, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, you know, you only live once, you know, just find your joy, whatever yeah. that is, you know. Uh, friend, would you like to go first or want me to go first? Uh, you can go first. Okay, I will kick things off with a story of an old man or old person. I don't even know if it's a man or a woman yet, but an, old, an elderly person who survived through sheer determination and hard uh, not even hard work really just honestly delicious treats Fran so this is a story about an 81 year old person who survived nearly a week stuck in a snowbank in their car with only croissants and candy stop you almost made me drop my croissant <laughs> so an 81 year old man survived on croissants candy and biscotti after a snowstorm left him stranded on a desolate California highway alone for nearly a week that's right folks I said California and I said a snowbank the end is near uh, Jer- but it's good vibes. Uh, Jerry Juret's family eventually called the Inyo County Sheriff's Office to report a missing person after the mathematician and former NASA employee never made it to his destination of Gardenville, three hours away from his mountain house in Big Pine. He's talk- that's big boy talk. Yeah, hey, okay, all right, flex. Yeah, okay. Apparently, he had set off in good weather. And there was a snowstorm in the forecast, but Jurit thought he could arrive safely before the winter weather began. So don't, hey man, don't risk it like that. Don't, don't chance it. If it's, in, if it's inclement weather, my ass is in the house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even if it's a, ha- a chance of it, like if, if, it's, if it's over 60, home is where I'll be at. That's where you can find me. Over 60 what, degrees? Percent of a chance. Oh, okay, gotcha. I should have been more clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's, no, if it's 60, over 60 degrees, yeah, I'll be outside. Sorry, that wasn't the clear. That, you know, that, was, that was a bad kind of like a little saying <laughs> I just had. It, and it didn't rhyme either. I thought I, thought I was going to say, if it's over 60, miss me. But it, <laughs> no, if it's 60 degrees, I'll be outside. Anyway, yeah. move on. Uh, over the following days, a series of winter storms continued to affect the region, which delayed the county's search and rescue team from launching a search along Highway 168 for a whole day. And on March 1st, five days after Mr. Jurett set out, two attempts to find him were unsuccessful. However, on March 2nd, with the support from California Highway Patrol helicopters, they identified a cellular ping from his from his phone somewhere in Gilbert pa- in the Gilbert Pass area. CNN reported that the petite man was ill prepared for weather, wearing only a light windbreaker, a light quilt and a hotel bath towel were the only things that Jurett had to keep himself warm. Mm. He smartly conserved his gas. I was about to get into that right now. He smartly conserved his car battery and gas for several days, only starting the SUV's engine periodically to warm up. Okay, so he would go on and off, which is smart. I would have fucking had that thing cranked up, warm, charging my, trying to charge my phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fucking watching YouTube videos. (laughs) Gas would have been real gone. (laughs) uh, He rolled his window down occasionally to eat snow, but that survival technique to keep himself. Hydrated backfired on the third day when the battery died while rolling up the window. Damn, that's probably when he when he wished modern cars also featured non electric manual crank windows in case of emergency. Why he's open the door? He couldn't. Probably so much snow. Hmm. He was he was trapped, so he couldn't drive Damn. it. So I'm, I'm guessing it was up to the doors. You can eat snow. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like a lot of it. Yeah, I mean it's cold. Probably get a brain freeze, but that's better. Oh, than I know that's all about de- like dehydrating. It's not fun. It's it's fun if you have a silly little brain freeze. But yeah, you can eat snow. As long as it's yellow. Hey, that's the rule. Yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> that's the only rule of eating snow. Don't eat yellow snow. Uh, so, so yeah, so like uh, they had a whole anecdote about uh, non 
non-electric windows, him wishing that he had those. Amid the search, um, one, heli- one of the helicopter pilots spotted something he initially thought was a large rock. But a closer look revealed that the vehicle revealed that a vehicle and the pilot was spotted with an arm waving out of the small opening in the car window that where you know where it died when he's trying to get it open. So he stuck his hand out, was waving his hand. Miraculously, the senior was discharged from the hospital later that evening, suffering only from dehydration. The Inyo County Sheriff's Office shared the story on Facebook saying the success of, of this mission was the result of the many volunteers who commit their personal time to serve as members of the Inyo County Search and Rescue Sheriff's Office. CHP Air Operations, Caltrans, District 9, as well as many members of the community, both near and far, who offered planning, logistical and moral support. Officials took the opportunity to remind everyone to always be prepared for unexpected events and to have a safety plan in place when traveling through the mountains. Um, you can check this. You can check out seven things you should always keep in your car article on this. But that's I'm reading it and not you guys. And uh, the last quote was, if it is snowing, make sure you are prepared and bring extra supplies with you. And I've always been, I've been always meant to like keep a go bag with, in my car. For like emergencies, like flares and roadside signs and that type of shit, I just never put one together. And this might make me get on that because you should have that kind of stuff in your car. Yeah, I don't have one. Oh, I thought cars come with that. No, I mean nice cars probably do, but my oh, car didn't have no I bag don't. with flares and shit in there. I definitely don't have. Uh, oh, it's my turn to go. Yes, it is. Oh, my good vibe is about motorcyclists can can soon be safer thanks to a company that produced the world's first airbag suit. Oh, the garment is made from the strongest denim on the planet. Even mm. more unique are the airbags that activate via small CO2 cartridges whenever the ride falls from whenever the rider falls from the bike. I don't know how that works. Uh, <coughs> the trigger mechanism is a tether connecting is a tether connecting the jeans to the motorcycle. When the equivalent of a road ex- accident occurs, the tether creates a puncture. And the cartridges that inflates the airbags. Mm. So I, I guess you have to connect. You got to tie yourself to your bike in some kind of way. It's almost yeah, like a rip so cord, a rip, is what it sounds right, like. Yeah. yeah. So if the rider is thrown from the bike, a protective air cushion is instantly deployed. Afterward, the CO2 cartridges are, re- are replaceable. Okay. While the airbag handles the uh, impact forces, the single layer denim fabric uh, called the arm armolith handles the abrasion forces, according to the officials from the mm. Swedish company airbag inside so we get that road rash but i mean like what about your head though i mean this is your good what about what about head what about head injuries a helmet yeah if you break your neck then what then what what an airbag suit going to do in a helmet you know you're reading this right you i'm just saying (laughs) it's a good idea but i mean like what but what about your neck and like no you're right i yeah no you're right the company that have tested the most the most cycle brand jeans at speeds of up to 45 miles per hour. I don't know who's going, yeah, who's doing, yeah, what? Uh, with only minimal abrasion to the fabric, the airbag covers new areas on the lower body, uh, areas pre- previously unprotected from impact hits, such as the thighs, the rear part of the body, and especially the tailbone. So, this is kind of like jeans. Yeah, they're the most strongest. Gene. Is this a gene ad that you're reading on this podcast this right now? Like Who paid gene, you? Who gene, paid you for this? This is a gene airbag. Is this raw denim? This is a raw denim ad. Look, this, here you go. Right here. I, they give you a dump truck, though. I'll tell you that. Look at those thighs. Yeah, man, thick. Um, I don't, I don't know who paid you to read this uh, promo for jeans. 
Well, go ahead and say the brand, Grant. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead and say the, the brand. What's the brand? I don't know. You tell me. I already told you. Oh, I, I, I'm motorcycle jeans. Motorcycle jeans. Motorcycle. Most cycle. No, mo cycle. Mo cycle. Motorcycle brand Hate jeans. Hate it. Hate the name. But that's great. Hey guys, if you need, I got any. We got any thrill secret daredevils uh, listening to this podcast? Go get you some Mo Cycle jeans. They uh, expand and give you a dumpy for if you fall off your bike doing forty five miles an hour. I worry about. I think I I would care more about my upper body than my like legs. Yeah, for sure. I like. Well, you can break your your knees and your legs and stuff. I don't know. But again, this was your choice for that. And I thought it was a good idea. It's good. That, that was, yeah, it's uh, good Invention, I guess it's a, Yeah, I'm always I'm on the side of inventors Always uh, Fran, before we get out of here You uh, been checking out Anything good uh, Yeah, man you know? I'm caught up on Last of Us Yes, last episode Is coming phenomenal, on tonight Phenomenal episode that, that The last episode, one The last one Yeah Joel, man yeah. Joel cranked up In that last one Shout out to Ellie, though she, is Oh, Ellie, yeah right? Ellie held it Of course Ellie girl, she wouldn't get anywhere Without Ellie no. You know, in that episode uh, And I tough. like that she was out On her own Yeah And held her own held And Joel own, didn't yes. come And get her yeah, Joel, he did his thing, but she got herself out of that situation. Do you watch all the way to the end, like to when the shit is like the, that? That whole show is over. Uh huh. You watch all the way to the end when the production like come on sometimes. The sometimes I like watching that. Yeah, they they, they let you know like where, where their head was at when they yeah, were yeah, doing like, this episode. I like that. Um, yeah, caught up on that. I watch. I already seen it before. I watched the McDonald's thing with the uh, the one that's on Netflix. With the two brothers, the McDonald brothers and the guy. How it was all invented and everything like that. McDonald's? It's like, I don't know what it's called. McDonald's something. Okay. I don't know this one. It's about like what? Like the history of McDonald's? Yeah. But it it, it tells you about what happened. Um, The guy that bought, essentially bought McDonald's from the, the guys that invented it. Uh-huh. And they got, they got duped. They got robbed. Like those guys don't like, they don't have anything now. Well, the, they, the, they're, the, they're not the, alive, like the McDonald's but the family. McDo- the, the, the name, the name. They don't. I don't think wow. they have anything now. The guy, some had, business dude that came and was like, "We're gonna turn this into like real estate." Because I always know, like, crazy. people always. I always like hearing people explain how McDonald's isn't a food company; it's a real estate company. Yeah, and it's pretty. It's pretty brilliant. Therefore, there yeah. If anybody's seen him, he came in and like just he kind of. I feel like he's like, he I like was the doing, name. He was doing everything like for as far as a businessman. He kind of did what he was supposed to do, like him trying to like be a part and invest, but yeah. he went in and like gutted it, gutted it, but use all these different strategies to like, oh, I can do you. Our contract between us says I can't do this. Yeah. But outside can, of this, I can do this. Yeah. And he can like maneuver. Loophole. Oh, he loopholed it. Oh, he loop, he's he loopholed it. Yeah. So he, uh, that was good. I watched. Oh, Lovecraft Country, man. Man. Oh, is this what you're talking about? You want to give me my flowers? Man. Okay, no, give me my skin. Give me my I'm hooked. Yeah, see, this is what happens. See, and 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 and, and I, I'm gonna sound like a hipster and I whatever, right? Okay. So I told you about Lovecraft Country. Yeah. Um, I've explained to you that Jonathan Majors is him. Yeah. And I've been trying to tell you that for some time. <laughs> Through movies that I've I've loved for years and people are just now kind of Creed 3 of people just put them on people's radar. Yeah. The Last Black Man in San Francisco is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful movies ever, just like the way it's shot and stylistically and all this stuff. And now people are going back through Jonathan Major's disc, you know, catalog to go, where'd this guy come from? Yeah. And one of those things that it was a big show to me, I thought. Was Lovecraft Country, and yeah. I did try to tell you, yeah. but let it better late than never. It's wild. It's weird. It, it's yeah. it's you know it's like Jim Crow era, but with but it's almost like get it's, um, um, it's almost got that Get Out type of right. twist on it where you know no good stuff, man. Please yeah. get into that. Please I, I, go into I, I it. I like more. the show. I'm only learning like you know episode three. Yes, but, um, 
I like those movies that shoot back in time. Yes. Where it's like, I always wonder how they seem to find the right, the cars, the cars and the clothes. The, the, but the environment, how it's like, mm-hmm. the, they capture the whole like shit that doesn't even matter in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's all in sync. I, wanna, I always wonder how they do that. Yeah. And I think that's so amazing, like movies like that. Because Steph is watching the show, it's kind of the same way, as far as how it shot like uh-huh. 60s, sure. 70s, whatever. Whatever, I don't know the name of the show, but like it's about some girl. She's trying to become a comedian. I don't know the name of the show. Oh, it's probably in the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, watching yeah. that. That's a good show. Yeah, I, I I watch it on and off, but I don't know if you. I mean, if you, if you I haven't I, been watching, but yeah. like it's on. She's watching. I'm in a room and it's I'll very just, like, talking. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's very yeah, talking. It's not. I'm I'm not into it, but yeah. she's is. She is. But uh, other than that, Love Craig Country. I watched. I was like, it is different. It's weird. Did you get to the Sundown Town episode yet? Yeah, I got it. and I was like, that's. It's, it's crazy. The man. way they took that and then added the twist made it sci-fi, but then yeah. with real stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do that yeah, a lot. Yeah. It's a brilliant show. I love that show so much. It yeah, was so, I, good. so I, I like the show, man. So I'm glad I finally started to watch. I was like, yeah, yeah. man, let me cut. I'm not doing nothing right now. Let me go ahead and cut. Yeah, give me give this a shot. Yeah, great show. Jonathan great show. Majors is fantastic yeah. dude, and he's great in that show, and everybody's great in that show. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, love Lovecraft Country. I'm glad you. I'm glad you got on that. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I started the second season of Perry Mason. The first season of Perry Mason is fantastic on HBO Max. Uh, the first episode of season two was really good. Um, I, the first season of Perry Mason is really dark and like there's a, a dead kid and all this stuff. It's like wild. And this one didn't start as dark. It still had like dark moments because the first season kind of reminded me of True Detective a little bit. But the second season, not so, not so much as not starting off that way, but it's still good. So loving Perry Mason. Obviously, The Last of Us, again, one of the best shows I've ever seen. And the last episode comes on tonight. So I'm really excited to watch that. Um, so Perry Mason and The Last of Us are two, epi- two shows that I um, have been watching. Or, well, the Perry Mason just started that one. And other than that, um, just my usual, like, you know, uh, my 600-pound life is currently in rotation. The, the new season is happening. So a new one of those every week. 1,000-pound sisters is coming up to a, The season is coming to a wrap. Um, Tammy's not getting it together still. She's not doing well. Yeah. Um, uh, from what I've seen, I still haven't caught up through the whole thing, but um, Amy had another kid and happy for her. And that's great. And yeah. so, yeah, those are just come, some of my things I've been watching. I saw, I got hooked on this YouTube show. Please. Somehow. It's about, it's like a dating game show. Sure. It's like a, I don't know, what, I don't know if it's called Red Button or it's called Button or something. Okay. But two people. Oh, go, they're sitting across from each other? Sitting across from each other. And like. They just, they like, they're opening lines and all that shit, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, and. And the robot will just like try to get them to open up, open up a little bit. And then they'll, it's, it's funny because they'll go like, hey, what's your name? And then it, when it's hit, when you can hit the button, you go boop. And it's like, they hit it. Yeah. And you go like, I just wasn't interested. And it's like, you don't even give the person the chance. Yeah. It's like, I thought you were ugly. It's hilarious. Sometimes love, it's like that. Like, like I'm it, not attracted to you. It's hilarious. But it's like, oh, it's so, it's just so honest. Yeah. And no, like, there's some weird. Oh, man. There's some weird trends on social media that are happening right now. One thing I saw on TikTok, I'm guessing that you can find the full videos on YouTube, but there's this guy going around. He'll go like to, you know, people going on bar nights and shit, yeah. people walking around. And he'll go up to somebody and go, hey, rate yourself on a scale of one to 10. And the person will go, I don't know, like a seven. Mm-hmm. And then they'll go, do you think if I show you your picture to somebody else that they'll say the same thing? And then they'll go, no. And then they'll go to somebody and. Again, they'll ask that person, rate yourself. And then that person will go, an eight. And they'll go, what do you think of this girl? Like, Fucking three. Damn. But but a reverse. So the girl, a girl. Is the person right there, though? No. Oh. But but 
it you feel the it still hurts. Yeah, it hurts yeah, you. Yeah, now, yeah. The same with a guy. A guy will be like, I don't know. I'm like a, I think I'm like a nine. Yeah. And then they'll be like, take a picture, and they'll go show a girl, and she'll be like, oh, a fucking three. Ill. You're like, damn. Like, so they really just like crush you right in real time. They ask you, what do you think of your? Well, no. First, they make you a dick. Yeah. Because they go, what do you think of this girl? Yeah. And you go, I don't know, like a three. And then they go, what do you think of you? I'm like, I don't know, like an eight and a half. Mm. And then you go, yeah, you can take a picture of me, take a picture. And then immediately they show your picture to some uh, group of girls and they go, ew, fucking negative three. You're like, damn, this shit is brutal. I don't know who came up with, people just like mess. Yeah. People just like mess, man. (laughs) I don't know who gave all these people iPhone microphones to go out and interview people in the streets, but it's creating some of the most cringe content I've ever seen in my life. Stop it. Leave people alone when they come out of bars. Stop pranking people at fucking lows and putting hoses around people's necks. Somebody's going to get shot. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this has been another episode of Affirmative Murder. I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. And we'll see you guys next week. Deuces. <laughs>